Welcome everyone to Davos Fingers episode 72, A Good Day for Death. I'm Scad, and my buddy Matt is with me here as always. Yes, I am. We've got a good episode coming at you today. Uh, as you know, we are covering A Feast for Crows and A Dance with Dragons in tandem in a special reading order. That reading order was developed by our friends over at Game of Owns, and it's called A Feast with Dragons. You can find that reading order on our website, davosfingers.com, and at afeastwithdragons.com. This episode continues a long string of a uh, handful of episodes we've done now that have dealt only with Dance with Dragons chapters. So we continue that today. No feast, only dance. And the chapters that we're covering are The Discarded Knight, The Spurned Suitor, The Sacrifice, Victarion 1. Wait, but we've already had some Vic chapters. Yeah, weird. And The Ugly Little Girl. It's not a very nice thing to say. Yeah. And you know, uh, I already talked about I already talked about uh, Ice and Firecon last episode, but we always say this, our friends at Game of Owns. But I I can honestly say now, I th- I feel like Zach at Game of Owns is my friend now. We bonded. See, and and he's a good dude, and uh, mm-hmm. I like him. So our friends at Game of Owns. Hey Zach, Shaggy, my buddy. Anyway, moving on to announcements. Um, we did uh, two nights ago. Matt and I have, have uh, we just talked two nights ago. It's more than we ever talk. <laughs> it's more than ever anymore. After you, you know, mm-hmm. left me at this company I still work for. Uh, <laughs> we got together and fingered the hell out of Infinity War. Did we ever? And it was fun. Still washing my hands. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, the stank is stankerific. Uh, it was a it was a fun discussion. That's a fun movie, not a perfect movie. We'll get more of that more into that, you know, in some depth. But a a fun movie. Yeah, and fun to talk about. A lot to chew on. Yes, so much to talk. I'm sure we left stuff out, but a lot a lot of fun to talk. Absolutely, about. a lot of fun to talk mm-hmm. about. And if you've listened to our films get fingered before, uh, you'll probably maybe even predict what we thought about it. But anyway. Check it out. It's uh, we do our, our films get fingered. Therefore, patrons only now. Uh, become a patron at uh, patreon.com forward slash Davos Fingers, and uh, you can check out our films get fingered segments. And thank you, all you patrons that support us already. Yeah, we hope you like the episode. I think you will. It's and then it was. It was fun to just chat about it. Mm-hmm. And so uh, this kind of just hit Scad Night today. Yeah. That after this episode, there are only two more episodes left. Yeah, to say it hit two me... Two <laughs> more episodes. Yeah, to say it hit me today isn't fair, because every time we record it hits me. <clears throat> it's like waves in the ocean, you know? Uh-huh. Like one of them and hits, they, they, and then like it comes down, it and like another one comes in, yeah. like, oh my god. Uh, yeah, uh-huh. two more episodes left. Yeah. And for me, I'm always like, I know we're getting to the end... But yeah. this seemed like such a huge project when we started that I can imagine getting to the end. So yeah. I, don't, uh, I don't know. It's pretty nuts. I don't know if we've ever even talked about this aside from the cast. But I don't think at all on the cast. I, I'm not sure I thought we would finish. I mean, our podcast has never been <laughs> embroiled in turmoil or anything before, but... As far, you know, we've always been pretty even keel, but as far as 
you know, difficult moments for us, the beginning of this process of feast dance was got to be the most right when Absolutely. we went from three members down to two and the future was unknown. And as we called it, the new normal introduced itself and we didn't know what that new normal was going to be like. And so, yeah, I'd agree with you. It was kind of one of those things that we, you know, we took it one episode at a time and yeah. went, okay, that first episode was a little weird, but it happened and it had some great moments. And we did a second, did a third, and now here we are. So, yeah. I mean, I don't know if I told you at the time, Matt, but there was, I don't think there was any doubt in my mind that I wasn't going to quit. Unless you did. I mean, I wouldn't have done sure. it by, my, yeah. by myself. We talked, we talked about that. Yeah. But like, I'm a, I'm a completionist. I don't want to like stop in the middle of something. I hate that shit. Mm -hmm. If I'm like mm -hmm. trimming the hedges, like I'm trimming all the goddamn hedges. I hate doing it. But if I'm doing it, I'm going to finish. You know? Like, mm -hmm. and and this is, <laughs> it's a bad comparison because I love doing this. And uh, yeah, quitting was never an option for me. But it was, it was certainly, you know, an interesting moment in our history. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, even from the even from the beginning, it was like, okay, these are people I like from work. They're friends. Yep. Can we get along on a podcast? I don't know. Will, will we flake out? I don't know them that well. You know, will they? Right. Will we flake out? Any of us? But uh, man, the journey has been so fun. It's so rewarding. Yep. I agree. Uh, I agree. All right. Enough waxing philosophic and historical. We yeah. are spoiler-free until the end of the podcast for a special segment that we call Davos After Dark. There's hardly anything left that's left to spoil. But... I had to scrape the bottom of the barrel a little bit <laughs> Absolutely. just for ideas. Absolutely. <laughs> and you might see that when we get there. But don't worry, we are sticking to our format. We will not spoil anything until we get to Davos After Dark. Yeah, whatever. We are be. creatures of habit, so yeah, getting us to change the way we do something is like <laughs> uh, pulling fingernails off of us. But yeah. <laughs> uh, and as always, if uh, we one of our favorite things about this podcast, part of the reason it has been so rewarding, like Scad said, is being with you all, even in this digital realm. So we love hearing from you. We love chatting back and forth with you. You guys know that. If you want to contact us just to say hello, to suggest things we should talk about. And you know what, guys? As far as topics for future episodes, uh, we're kind of getting to the end of uh, material here. Yeah. So if you've got anything you'd like us to talk about going forward, Sked and I have talked about it a bit, uh, including for about 10 minutes before we started recording tonight, Yeah. Uh, what we're going to do after Feast with Dragons. So stay tuned for that. We do have some fun things in mind. But if you've got anything you'd love to hear us cover, please reach out to us and let us know. Uh, you can find us at DavosFingers.com. Email address is WeAreDavosFingers at gmail.com. Our Twitter handle is at DavosFingers. We are on Facebook. And you can learn more about our Patreon program via Patreon.com slash DavosFingers. Yeah, regarding what's next, if you've got a novel out on submission, send it in. Maybe we'll cover that. You know, we don't know. I'm kidding, guys. Don't we don't know what that. we'll do. <laughs> don't don't I, do that. I think we're going to do, uh, we talked about doing our reread of the, well, it'll be your first ever read of the Book of Mormon. Uh, no, I saw the <laughs> musical, so I'm I'm well-versed. Uh, so you're well-versed. You've seen I, the show. I heard right? that was a faithful adaptation, so. Yeah, it's about like Game of Thrones. About the, about the same, so it's the first half yeah. is good. <laughs> 
So I heard something like that. Something <laughs> like that. Yeah. yeah, I think uh, I think you'll find some some striking similarities. All right, uh, should we just dive right in, man? Let's dive right in. Okay, so let's do. Uh, we're going to start with the discarded knight. Who? Yeah, who could that be? I wonder. Let me tell you who that's going to be. Actually, we'll let the music tell you. To the B and double I I S T A N nine penny kings to defeat at the try to dance. Sell me is tripping because he's out living three kings and maybe more. And that white cloak makes it easy to see, but it can also make it hard to breathe. Sell me the boldest thing. Have you finally found? Have you finally found your queen? So I once dated this girl who uh, wanted to be my girlfriend in every sense except holding the title of Matt's girlfriend. You know what I mean? Um, no. What does that you know, mean? She, she wanted all the perks except having to be like seen with me publicly, I guess. <laughs> On I, my arm as as Matt's girlfriend. I imagine that's the biggest perk. You'd think. You would I, think. I do think. <laughs> Not her. So it was a thing Anyways. where, like, she liked you, but you weren't, like, her friend's style or speed, and so she didn't want to, she want them to know? She, she didn't want to, like, yeah, she she didn't want to have the title, the officiality uh, of being tied down to, you know, such an eligible suitor like myself, but titles are I don't know. I'll never understand it. Anyway, your story. <laughs> Anyways, so that's it. I kind of feel like that's where Barristan Selmy is right now in the Hisdar Zolorak administration. <laughs> they want him around, but they don't. He's clad just in a simple robe in the throne room, but still allowed to keep his sword just in case things go down. But they don't want him anywhere close to Hisdar, officially. So Barristan attends court as he has however many times before. Uh, but not at the side, like I said, of Hisdar. No, instead, Hisdar, who has replaced Danny's simple bench with two elaborate and imposing thrones, has surrounded himself with Meereen's best pit fighters. Seasoned killers, to be sure, uh, but were they cut out for protecting a king? Barristan is uh, suspicious. Anyways, the bone-weary Selmy notes the absence of Danny's supporters, Miss Anday, Belwas, Grey Worm, her blood riders, Dario, the shave pate, as well as the tense atmosphere of the throne room. Folks are still upset about Daznak's pit, while others, mostly freedmen, are upset that Danny is gone and worry that she's perished. Prince Quentin is there as well, and Barristan notes as he sees his dark frown in Quentin's genital direction hmm. that he really needs to get the Dornish prince the F out of there before his dar decides to get rid of him on his own. It's then that the Yunkish arrive, three wise masters accompanied by men and by the sellsword Captain Bloodbeard, but not, Barristan notes, by the Tattered Prince, nor Brown Ben Plum, the commanders of the other sellsword companies who have contracted with Yunkai. Bloodbeard unceremoniously pulls a severed head from a sack and lobs it at the feet of Hisdar. 
the wise masters proclaiming that seven of their men were sent into Marine when peace was agreed to as a sign of peace. And in return, as we remember, seven Miranese hostages were sent to the Yunkish camp to guarantee their safety. As one of the Yunkish seven, Commander Yurkaz Zoyunzak, perished at Daznak's pit, so also was one of Marine's hostages killed. Inspection of the severed head reveals it to be Admiral Grolio. No! Grolio. Grolio. Who had been with Danny just as long as Barristan and Belwas had. Uh, a good man, Selmy notes, a father and a grandfather who had just wanted to go home. And I know this reader always felt so bad for Admiral Grolio. But uh, the Yunkish declare they will hold on to the other Danny-friendly hostages, who are Jogo, the blood rider, Hero, one of the Unsullied, and Dario, her uh, slam piece, until the dragons have been destroyed. They claim the dragons are monsters and that no peace can endure while the dragons live. However, the other three Miranese hostages, Hisdar's cousins, are freed and given back to Hisdar. Uh, Hisdar rather meekly responds to the Yunkish, not saying much, tripping over his words, letting um, Reznak talk for him, before he declares that he must counsel with his counselors and dismisses the court. So uh, Barristan, no longer a counselor, beelines it for Quentin Martell, where he warns him that Hisdar could definitely be gunning for him. He strongly suggests that he and his companions leave now for Dorne. Don't even go back to your room to get your stuff. Just go. When Quentin insists on staying, Barristan informs him of the poisoning attempt at Daznak's pit. Remember the locusts. And he wonders aloud if it was indeed, if uh, the poisoner was indeed Hisdar, if Hisdar would tr attempt to pin the assassination attempt on Quentin if the need for a scapegoat arose. <gasps> Quentin was indeed a spurned suitor, right? So he could be all ticked off. It was him that did it. No one's going to stand up for Quentin. Uh, Quentin blanches at this, saying, What name do you think they will give me should I return to Dorne without Daenerys? Quentin the Cautious? Quentin the Craven? Quentin the Quail? The prince who came too late, Barristan thinks. But he says, Quentin the Wise. And that ends the chapter. Quentin, <clears throat> Quentin the... Something that has a C sound. It was lazy by George. He couldn't get up the source for that one. <laughs> we got to be a, a, some be able to rhyme. They're not rhyme, but find something with a C sound. It's not you know. It's not wise. Yeah, come on, George. Quentin. Quentin. The that was lazy. Clever. Quentin. Uh, uh, clever implies some sort clever's of. Clever's not. Yeah. yeah. Like land the clever. Uh, Here, here's uh, let's not let's not do this on the cast. But you know what? We'll find something and we'll tweet it. <laughs> I guarantee there's okay. something. Okay, 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 okay. <laughs> Matt, we uh, have like a week to find it. We do. Yep, and that'll be top of my priority list. 
I don't have a major show to deliver at all, so I can do it. <laughs> Let's see. So this uh, Grolio. Let's start with Grolio. Grolio. He's gone, man. Gonzo. Yeah, that's what happens when heads are severed. Yeah, he he's gone. He gone. Um, I just feel bad for this guy. He was given one job. He's thinking, I'll just take my ships out to Karth, pick up Danny, bring him right back. <laughs> he ends up stuck in the Marine. No ships. <laughs> well, I just always felt terrible for the guy. Uncle, you're you're trying to turn me. I, I never cared that much about Grolio. I mean, I, I care. I, I mean, sorry, that's not fair. I care as much as I care about random farmer number 12 in the Riverlands in the Aria chapters. I care. But, uh, you know, he's an admiral. He signed on a little bit. You, you know the, you know that scene in Clerks where they have a, the whole discussion about the Death Star and something never mm-hmm. sat right about it the second time? You know, and I never figured it out until right now. It was not complete, so they had all sorts of workers. You know, construction workers and bathroom creators and all these people that had to work plumbers, on the Death Star. Tradesmen, mm-hmm. right? Contractors. Contractors yeah. to finish the Death Star. Nobody, no way the government could handle a job that big on their own, which is false, by the way. If you read the novels, they could for sure handle a job that big on their own. But, uh, but, you know, Grolio's, uh, he, he took the job, you know? He wasn't a slave, what, right? What other choice did he have? Oh, I don't know. Retire mm. to his grandkids? I don't know. I, you're right. People don't have tons of choices in this life, but it seems to me he put himself in position to earn this, took it from, from Illyrio, and there were risks associated, just like the guy in the quick stop mentions to Dante and Randall. That when you take a job, you know the risks involved. And so he did not take Gambini's residence or whatever that job was. That it, it was a roofer, right? Something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A long way to say, okay. I, never pitied okay. him. I never pitied him as much as I pitied, like, the true victims that never involved themselves. But like I, Isaiah. Right. Right. A, good, a great example from this, Marini's not here. Hosea, who did nothing mm-hmm. and was just dragon mm-hmm. fodder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But sure, I, I, I liked him fine. Was he, ever, was, he was loyal. He ever muttered to his, he muttered to his buddies the, the Lando line, this deal's getting worse all the time. <laughs> this deal's getting worse all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Everything you hear about him is true. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. I can't wait to see that movie. It's out tonight. What are you doing here with me, I, you sad sack? Go see it. Right? I probably would be if I wasn't doing this. Yeah, well, I'm sorry about that. Yeah, you should be. Donald Glover is certainly better company than me. <laughs> I am going probably Saturday night. Oh, I don't I don't know if I've earned another movie night out. I, I mean, I just took <laughs> one to see Avengers last Sunday, so uh-huh. I don't know. 
we're going to be, we're leaving for Idaho tomorrow and up in my wife's tiny little hometown, they've got a four or five screen little theater there. Mm-hmm. And so I'll be seeing it. I'll be seeing it there, baby. Nice. That's a great, in all its a, glory. That's great. That's a great story. Yeah. <laughs> I will sneak away sometime next week. I'm sure to see it. I'll take Excited. a pic I'll take a picture of the empty seat next to me, Kalasar, and I'll I'll post it. So you can see <laughs> that I, I wish you guys were there with me. Don't we both? Yeah. That would be so fun. Wow, oh, random yeah. segue. Fill a theater with, with fans of the Kalasar and just watch solo together. That would be amazing. Mm-hmm. All right, yeah. moving on. So you think the Yunkish don't want the dragons destroyed for peace. Oh, interesting. No, I hadn't thought of that. Uh, what what do you what do you take me the rest of the way down the path? What are you getting at? I don't think they want peace. Oh, I think they want to oh. sack Marine. Sure, yeah, they do. They do for sure, but yeah, they do want right? the dragons killed. I think they want the sure. dragons killed. Yeah. Then they're going to sack Marine. Exactly, because that yeah. pretty much opens the gates. Yeah, I misheard what you said. I, I what I was what I heard was they don't want the dragons killed for peace. What oh, you meant I was. See. I probably said it that way. <laughs> no, I think I was just the way I interpreted it. They don't want the dragons killed for peace. They want the dragons killed mm-hmm. for convenience so they can then invade and take it easily. Yeah, which Barristan kind of hints at, right? He He's like, when he's looking at uh, Bloodbeard, he's like, this guy, he's not, he, he, he is, his little, his little bum is just itching. Yeah. Itching for a good sacking. Yeah. Here, so, I don't know a lot about cell swords, but I do know that I played softball in college as a, a senior. Uh, and <laughs> uh, we had this this scrappy team that was terrible, and uh, most of the, the league we played in mostly was, um, mostly was like grown men that were just kind of hanging out and playing teams. But attendance was a huge sure. problem. And you ended up having to like pick, mm-hmm. pick people up before the game to like complete your team. And there were basically like ringers hanging out, just like waiting for a game, right? But they had no, mm-hmm. they didn't care about your team at all. They were just there yeah. to like hit home mm-hmm. runs if they could. And this particular league, they didn't want to lose softballs because that cost the league money. And if you hit the ball over the fence, there's a reasonable chance you're going to lose a softball. So if you hit more than two home runs a game, you were actually penalized. You like were penalized like two runs or something if you hit a home run, if you hit more than two home runs. Terrible rule, right? It's awful. Like totally valid. Oh, wow. Invalidates the spirit of the game. Mm-hmm. So we picked one of these guys up. He hit yeah. three home runs in the game and cost us the game. We ended up losing by a run. He was the last at bat. Like he won the game for us on a home run. And then lost it by hitting a home run because it's it deducted two runs from the total. Yeah. And did not care. Grabbed his bat, walked uh-huh. off, gave us the bullshit salute, and and didn't care. This guy, that was a long story to get to this. This guy does not care about Yunkai or anybody <laughs> else. If he's going to hit his home run, no, no. get his money, and do what he needs to do to, to satisfy whatever lusts he has... And he doesn't care about the cause at all. And that's the risk you take with sellswords. Bang. That was my point. 
That, was a that is the risk you take with sell swords. I, I'm just imagining that scene in, in Sandlot where the catcher, the little chubby catcher, which Ham, Ham oh, hits yeah. the home run. Yeah. And as he's rounding the bases, yeah, the they lose their gloves. ball. And they're all throwing their yeah. gloves at him, yeah. and cursing at him and stuff. And he's just smiling, having a good time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but you're right, man. And I also think that the sacking, I don't know Sellsword 101 either, but, um, you know, I think that you, you get to, you keep what you get, right? I mean, if you kill a guy and you loot his body, you get whatever's on his body, right? Yep. If you get to it first. So I think the, the sacking is, is preferable for these guys in, in terms of the tips that they might get uh, doing so. So, yeah. Yeah. In addition to their contract, the money that they get, they get some tips, you know, from plunder. Uh, in fact, they, like a waiter, I think they live on the tips. Right? Probably. I mean, the, the contract so you're is saying nice, the, the but... contractual money probably goes to expenses. Well, maybe maybe not that maybe maybe not that uh, technically, but like they already got the contract. What's next? Like they're already looking to the next thing, and the next thing is mm-hmm. plunder. What do you mean you already got paid for this job? No, that was weeks ago. Yep. Like I need the next thing, you know. That yeah. money's already spent, baby. Yeah, spent that on pretty yeah. Maris or something. Yeah, or something. <laughs> uh, okay, so Barristan, he's a little out of his league, and uh, I don't know if you picked this up too, but he is seeing shadows everywhere. <laughs> and he's like, he's so cautious. It feels like he's almost to the point of paranoid. You know, he's looking at the uh, brazen beasts and their different colored animal or their different styled animal helmets. Yeah. He's like, did the same, do the same guys wear the same masks every day or do they new, choose new helmets? What's going on between under those faces? You know, Jarrus Drinkwater or Garrus Drinkwater. What's his deal? He's yeah. like, he calls him false coin. But I have a he's, feeling that Barristan's just like so – yeah, he's just seeing shadows everywhere. It, in the last chapter, it talked about how he had that – he kept coming back to the splitting headache that he had trying to wrap his head around being all covert and sneaky and stuff for a guy who's used to like, okay, I'm going to pull out my sword and I'm going to yeah. fight the enemy. Right. Now he's having to do this. Yeah, yeah. and now he's got to be doing it this different way and, and it's just so – hard for him to even fathom how to do it and now it's like to the point that he's just into it that he's he he, yeah he's seeing stuff everywhere and uh i feel kind of bad for the guy but it's interesting to to see that happen and really a testament to george's writing and that he's showing us that it's happening and in a in a really kind of interesting way but i like barristan i like him fine i it's interesting i i read it a little bit differently than you um but but not maybe okay. not maybe not maybe not notably different I guess in the sense that I still note that okay. he's wrong like you you get like he starts off and he's just he's making observations basically right he's standing on the side he's looking at all these people and he's making observations about them right and you think he's right about some of these some of these things you think oh like maybe he's like really good at reading people like maybe that's how he's gotten along this whole time. He's like, he's really good at actually reading people and their character and what they want to do. But then he gets to Quentin and you're like, oh, yeah, maybe he's the poisoner. It's like, dude, there's not a poisoner bone in Quentin's body. That's another, yeah. 
Like, come on. Yep. If this if this is your take, then I can't buy your POV at all. Like, come on, you've met him. Like, you know, like, what he stands for. Well, that's how far down this thing he is. Yeah, right. So that's what I mean by maybe it's not that notably different. It's like, I get the sense that, like, I'm I'm, I'm buying his POV. I'm listening to these observations. I'm like, yeah, yeah, he's kind of nailing it, right? I'm not sure about the Garrus thing, but he's kind of nailing it. And then he gets to he gets to judging Quentin. And I'm like, oh, you have no idea what you're talking about. Do I have to throw it all out? All of it? Maybe I do, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's 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 having a rough go, Scad. He's he having is. a rough go. He doesn't know what to think. So, so I think what you're saying is he's just he's not usually this way. He's just so like his faith is so shaken that he can't trust himself anymore. That he, he doesn't know like he's discombobulated. Is that what you're saying? Mhm. Yeah. It's you know a little bit. It's kind of like I and I think maybe not every reader of A Song of Ice and Fire, but a lot of us A Song of Ice and Fire readers do. For example, when we figure out some of George's little clues yeah. and, and that them. lead to big reveals about something, yeah, we start to pick apart every single line that he writes, yeah, right? Yeah. And we're like, well, maybe this means this, and maybe the maybe the tattered prince is really so-and-so's son who's so-and-so's son and it was this and this and this. And to the point that we're driving ourselves nuts and you got to kind of just step back and go, wait a second, wait a second, just read this for what it is, you know? And I feel like maybe Barristan's going so far down that path that he's just twisting himself up in knots. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. It's not what I picked out, but I see it now that you mention it. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. But I do he he said a line that I just that just made me go, you know what, for all his faults, and people have written essays on why they don't like Barristan Selmy. For all his faults though, I like him for this line. Give me the strength to do what is right is what he prays to the warrior before yeah. he goes to bed. Give me the strength to do what is right. Whether he's, you know, whether he's right for following Danny and, you know, all the other things he did, whether he was wrong for, and he probably, he was wrong for not sticking up for Rayella and stuff and, and witnessing all the abuse that he did as, as Robert's Kingsguard and Ares is Kingsguard. But, at least now you get this from him. Give me the strength to do what is right. And I appreciate that about Barristan. You know Maybe I, it makes him a little vanilla and boring. But at the same time, I like him. You know what I love about that line? And I didn't pick it out. It's not in my notes. But having heard you bring it up, what's great about that line is give me the strength to do what is right. It implies he knows he didn't mm -hmm. do what was right. And he failed in the strength department. Yeah. And, and he wants to be better. And he wants to be Good better. Good man. Yeah. And he could have he could have said he could have said, "Give me the wisdom to do what is right," and that would kind of get him off the hook. Like I didn't know yeah. what I was doing was wrong. He's saying, "Give me the strength." I knew it was wrong, and I didn't do I didn't do anything. Give me the strength to do it this time, right? That's interesting. And, Ooh, and I you're like right. That. I like that. I'm glad you like it, Matt. After 71 and a half episodes, I said something you like. I like, I'm glad. Uh, Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but but no. give me the strength. And he's not saying give me the strength to do, you know, 
uh, brackets insert what Barristan wants to do, right? Right. He's kind of giving himself over to what is right. You know, whatever that is, you guide me to what is right and give me the strength to do it. Right. And uh, I like that. Yeah. Shows yeah. a humility now, as well. Now, the fact that he's asking the warrior for it is perhaps the wrong deity to ask because the warrior is all about, <laughs> you know, well, maybe. I don't know. Okay. Uh, yeah. and, and I think, you know, you, you take this line in a vacuum and it's it, it's, it's easy to, yeah. to wax eloquent about it. But you, you put it in context and what he's trying to convince himself is right is this coup is is taking his yeah. dart down right so the bloodbath when we read it in that context yeah he calls it the bloodbath when he's thinking about quentin mm. and sparing him from it mm-hmm. he says it'd be better if he was some mm-hmm. paraphrasing because i don't have it in front of me it'd be better if he wasn't caught up in the bloodbath that was it's coming bloodbath. what a tease mm-hmm. what do you what do you mean barristan what bloodbath that is coming wow Good tease. Oh boy. Oh boy. Oh boy. Yeah. Yeah. So what what do you think of what do you think of advice his advice to Quentin and, and Co. I mean, Quentin's not doing any good there. Yeah. We're gonna find more about why he's there in just a second, uh, when we move on to the next chapter. And maybe this is just as good a time as any to move on to that. Um but uh yeah, I think Barristan's advice is sound. I I didn't feel the same sense of urgency that Barristan did. Like you got to go now. Don't even go back to your room. Yeah. Um, but it's time to go. If I'm Barristan, I get that. Yep, it's time to go. The girl you came to take is gone. Was this a chapter where somebody compares themselves to the Summer Islander at court? It might no. have been the previous set of chapters, but he's kind of that guy. He's just like hanging out at court, like hoping for favor. Oh, Jalabar. Jalabar Joe, yeah. Joe yep. or Ho or mm-hmm. Um, He's kind of that guy, right? He's hanging out. He doesn't belong. Nobody wants him there, really. But mm-hmm. he can't really go back because he'll be facing, you know, disdain from his countrymen for returning without help. And he's kind mm-hmm. of he's kind of the Jalabar of this court. Yeah. Except less feathery. Yeah. Less feathery. And his initial reason for coming to court was to take the woman that his dar ended up marrying. Yeah. So there's that. Right. So there's some angst in the uh in the other players at court. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about uh well, what do you think about you, you brought it up already a little bit, but the Yunkai and wanting to destroy the dragons? Like, they're not wrong. These are terrible, vicious monsters that no one can control. Like, yeah, I mean, probably they should be killed, right? Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, PETA might disagree. I'd be wanting to kill him, too. (laughs) Yeah, right. I'd be wanting to kill him, too. But... Well, we've always talked about what a force multiplier the dragons are and how valuable they would be in battle and stuff. But as Quentin and Garrus are going to discuss in the next chapter, 
is it worth the risk? Is it worth what it's going to take? Yeah. They don't know how to control the dragons. Yeah. They can't just, the Yunkish can't just steal one and start using it like you'd steal a tank or, or something. So next best option, kill them. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think they really have any idea how to kill them. No. Uh, we'll just shoot spears at it. But, Yeah. yeah. And his star for his part, I, I feel like he's in a he's, he's a bit mixed on it as well. It's a bit of a catch twenty two for him, right? Like he'd love to not have them around and, just, you know, take control and rule by himself. But, also I think you know he's got this army at his front gate. I think he knows that, the dragons are a trump card he needs, despite mm-hmm. the fact that he That's can't control them or yeah. doesn't want them. Hmm. Also, he's got the teeming masses within the gates that were they executed might, you know, it's like a populace that is just on the edge of rebellion. But yeah. like, if you take that next step, maybe you'll get, they'll get there. You do all these crappy things. And I'm, I'm certainly not talking about our own country at all. But if you do all these things that add up to like a boiling point that you don't quite reach, and then like you do something like kill dragons... Uh, it might. So I think he's. Mm-hmm. I think he's in a lot of trouble. His dar, like he doesn't really want them because he'd rather not have them in the way. But at the same time, they're maybe the only thing keeping him around. That's a good point. Oh, thank you. Yep, he's got a very tenuous seat right now uh, from all ends. Yeah, he knows it. Yep. You got anything else on this chapter? I have one more thing. Uh, go for it. Well, just uh, it's it's one of the one of the better comparisons in the books. I, I really like it. Uh, she wants fire, and Dorn sent her mud. Yes. Uh, something George does, I think, really well is he plays off of the off of the extremes of you know young girl dealing with puberty and love and emotion and sex and all of these things and mm-hmm. and powerful leader that is wise beyond her years and he plays those two things well against each other and Quentin is not attractive to her <laughs> like that's as easy as you have to put it she's just not that into you yeah she's just not she's just not man and you know maybe she should be but nice guys finish last sometimes sometimes until they're you know in their 30s and dungeons and dragons makes it back into the mainstream hey could make a poultice out of mud to cool a fever yes you could plant seeds in mud and grow a crop to feed your children mud would nourish you yep where fire would only consume you and he says but fools and children and young girls would choose fire every time and me too sometimes. Yeah. Well, you know. Fire's fun. I sat at the campfire all three nights at Vice at Firecon. I was there. You could make a poultice out of mud to cool a fever. There's healing effects in fire too. You sterilize instruments for a certain... You, know, you, can, you could say that fire could be used for stuff. Yeah. It's... Um, it's... Let's see. Fire's not very good for planting crops, so never mind on that. Maybe clearing a field. You could clear a field with fire to plant your crops. 
You could. Does it See? damage? It might. No, it doesn't damage the soil, does it? Yeah, might be all right. Yeah, they do. Com farmers do controlled burns and stuff. Yeah, that's true. So come on, Barristan, give fire a little more credit. I think. I think maybe more apt is the metaphor doesn't make sense. I mean, I love the writing. I brought it up, but the metaphor doesn't make sense because fire won't consume her. It won't her. Yeah, you're correct. So like maybe other people are wrong for making that choice, but she isn't. Mm. Anyway. Yep. All right. Shall we move on? Uh, I just wanted to point out a cool little factoid about Barristan was revealed in this chapter mm. that he, when he was 10 years old, there was <laughs> yeah. a tourney close to where he lived at Blackhaven. Selmy went and got in some gear, some armor, and he went and he participated in the tourney. And only one guy would, uh, would agree to go up against him. That was Duncan the Small which was Eggs, Aegon's oldest son. He was a prince. They called him the Prince of Dragonflies. Um, he agreed to to joust with him in the tournament to kind of just kind of allow the kid to keep his ar uh, honor and not humiliate the kid that no one would joust with him. So he right. jousted with him. He beat him. Um, but still, that's where Barristan earned the nickname, Barristan the Bold. He earned it at age 10. Uh, yeah. Kind of a cool story about old Barry. Indeed. Way to go, Barry. And of course, Duncan Duncan the Small, named after Egg's buddy, Duncan the Duncan Tall. Duncan the Tall. Kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's all I got. Should we continue this Marine thing? The Spurn Suitor! Yep. If life's an adventure, the life surely stains Of dreams that are tempered and not wine but water drink but still I'll run away to you I wonder what you'll think Good plain old Quentin Fire and Blood As Matt said, we're just going to keep it here in Marine for a spell because Quentin and pals are up to something. They aren't just biding their time in Marine. Q knows in his heart of hearts that he can't return to Dorne as Barry just suggested they do, so he's hatched a plot. Danny herself may have been lost to him, dead or not but he knows her ammunition is not all gone, so they arrange a meeting to try to obtain some. The tattered prince agrees to meet them at the Purple Lotus, but Garrus is uneasy. Some of the windblown are still held captive below the city for their betrayal, but Quent and his group went over to Danny for real, not just pretend, and Garrus thinks this meeting is just a sham to capture and torture them for using the windblown for their own purposes. Quentin agrees that there is risk, but trusts the prince will respond to a golden offer. You know, like money. Money. So what's going on? Why take the risk at all? Well, Quentin sees an opportunity, and he needs some help to make it happen. Danny was not the prize he was after, you see. She was a means to the prize. The dragons. Fire and blood. Doran had a whole speech about it. Revenge for Doran! Danny herself intimated that her marriage need not be the end of his hopes. She implied he could still have an alliance, or maybe a dragon? He has dragon's blood in his veins, and he means to test it, but again, he needs some help. Garrus and Archer not convinced. Sellswords cannot be trusted. You don't want their help. Anyway, Quentin's in charge, so they make their way uh, to below the Purple Lotus, where the Tattered Prince awaits. 
in armor with more men than were agreed upon, but without his famous cloak, at least. He promises not to kill them until they have said what they mean to say, and Quentin knows just how narrow this path is. The wrong word could end the whole thing and their lives. And so he begins. He apologizes for the nature of their deception. It appeared their only way to Marine at the time, and he owed it to his people to do it. Tatters is unmoved by his reasons, noting how truly sorry he is that the wedding won't be happening, and asking if they have come back to honor their contracts now. No. No. Quentin insinuates that the windblown contract with Yunkai is up now. Yunzak, who signed their contract for Yunkai, is dead, and the war is over anyway. But Tatters isn't convinced. There is much unrest still in this city, Marine, and any number of conflicts might arise for them to take advantage of. Someone will need their swords, he's sure of that. Someone does. Quentin does. He offers to pay double what the Yunkai are paying for the windblown swords. The Tattered Prince can barely keep it together. How can Quentin honestly believe that he would trust him? The Dornish broke their last contract, and on top of that, he has no actual gold to give him, just promises of future gold. Oh, and what do you actually want us to do, BT Dubs? Steal a dragon? Rags replies that if a dragon is the target, Pentos is the price. End of chapter. Pentos? Okay. Pentos. It's a... Uh, Pentos, it's the Freshmaker. The Freshmaker. Yeah, um... They're kind of lucky that Tatters just doesn't kill them right there. Absolutely. No real you money. Kind of wonder offer. why he why he doesn't. No real money at all to offer, right? Oh, did you uh -huh. just tease something? I wonder if that was a tease for something later. Maybe it is. No. Quentin. I wonder why I didn't kill him. Quentin isn't offering any real money, right? Just promises, which sometimes never come to fruition at all. Yep. The risk is high, right? The whole mm -hmm. thing reeks of desperation. And why does... Why, why, here, here's, here's a main question that I don't hear talked about enough. Why does... Why does Tatters think that even with one dragon, Quentin could give him Pentos? What, like... Why, why does he think that would be doable? I, I wrote that note too. How... How? <laughs> yeah, how? It's it's like my kid, like like bartering with me, you know. Like, I'll, I'll sell you this piece of art. It's beautiful, son. I'm glad you drew that today. How much? A million. Well, no. What? I I can't even fathom how I would do that if I wanted to. Uh huh. Right? Like he can't deliver this. Why would you think he can deliver this? Right. And taking a step back, not, not to mention Pentos, but what would Quentin do with the dragon if he got the dragon? Yeah. Yeah, what's what's his... I mean, you'd say his goal has... He's here for Dorne. His goal has to be returned to Dorne with the dragon for something. Yeah. That doesn't really align with getting you Pentos. Nope. It's a weird... It's a whole weird exchange. And I don't really mm -hmm. get it, to be honest. I wonder if George was hitting the sauce when he wrote this chapter. <laughs> well, you know, the Tattered Prince, like many swords, want to be on the right side coming out of things. And I wonder if the Tattered Prince isn't holding out hope for Daenerys to come back. If somehow Quentin does manage to get a dragon, 
I could see that going one of two ways. He, you know, Danny comes back and she's mm-hmm. like, hey, you have one of my dragons. Quentin can say, uh, yeah, I was just like holding on to it for you. Like, uh, yeah, we're on your side. Here you go. Here's your dragon back. And everything. You, you got an ally there. Or she could be upset that they stole the dragon in the first place and killed him but, and killed them. But maybe that's what the Tattered Prince is banking on is just getting on the right side because I think he's seeing that things aren't going well for the Yunkish. Mm. And uh, maybe he's looking to switch sides. But... Back back to the dragon bit a little bit for a second. Uh, you know, if, if he did do that, if, if, he, if he was able to steal a dragon uh-huh. and Danny did come back, so A, it's a uh-huh. little weird. He's like, I stole the dragon! I'm gonna hang out in Marine for a little while. Uh-huh. Hi, guys. This is my dragon. Got, got a dragon! I got a dragon here. I, does anyone have any? I'll feed him. Um, it's a little weird, okay? But but let's assume he does it. And he's got the dragon, and, you know, they love each other and everything, and he's the rider, and, uh, you know, dragons don't usually take two riders at a time, I don't think. I think that's part of the rules. Um, certainly people yep. don't ride two dragons. Dragons can take more than one rider if their first rider dies or whatever, but I, I don't think they usually have more than one at a time. Right. Um, so I think what Danny would see if she came back is an ally that, that oh, she can't yeah. replace. This is yeah, especially, rare yeah, to find a dragon rider. He to be able to ride the dragon. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's rare to find that. And so I think, I think you're, I guess what I'm really getting at long-windedly is, Maybe maybe you're right. The Tattered Prince sees like, oh, well, if you succeed, then she's going to see that, assuming he We're knows anything right about side. dragons, uh, you know, and maybe more of that in Davos After Dark. Assuming he knows anything about dragons, he can see, oh, if you succeed, then you're in. You're in, You're in. you know, the Mile High Club. Yeah, you're... <laughs> like, like, you're that guy yeah. that helped, and you're the guy that helped Quentin get that dragon. Right, so... Right. So yeah. you're you're taking a step up. So maybe I'll I'll give you I'll give you credit for that. I didn't see any reason why he would do this. Mm-hmm. This is maybe maybe akin to, um, you know, Roos in the Red Wedding thing, kind of like keeping his options open, right? Yep. Uh, in your in your Red Wedding episode that that you architected. So, I'll I'll give you that. Good good theory. But here's the thing about Quentin though too is, he's changed his line of thinking. Before he was going to Marine for Danny. Yes. And in this chapter, he says Daenerys is the means to the prize, not the prize itself. Yeah, he sounds spurned, doesn't he? Yeah. So he's shifting focus, well, I'm picking up, from getting Danny to getting a dragon. Yes. And then he's going to take that dragon back to Dorne. Yeah, I, right? meant, I meant to give that in my summary, but maybe I didn't hit it hard enough. Yeah, I mean, he's he's moved on from Danny. In essence, mm-hmm. like, all right, I can't have you. I'm gonna, I mean, and I think she meant him to think this when, with the last chapter they were in together when mm-hmm. she took him down to the dragon pits. He's saying, yep. all right, I'll give this a shot instead. Mm-hmm. So, well. yeah, and ah, it just makes me feel bad for Quentin again because this is what happens when unreasonable expectations are placed on someone by a figure they respect and are desperately trying to please. Yeah. Right? He he moves. I can't get Danny, I but I can't go back home to Dad empty-handed. I got to do something. Oh, I guess I got to get a dragon. Well, how are you gonna ride the dragon? His friends say. What are you gonna do when you get the dragon? You know, we gotta figure this out, buddy. I don't know. I just can't go home without him. Yeah. I can't let Dad down. Oh boy. Yeah. 
Ooh, I feel like I feel like I brought this up many, many, many episodes ago. Yeah. I I feel well specifically like you're not trapped in life. People people tend to build these boundaries around themselves like I have yep. to do this. It's what it's what's expected. I can't mm-hmm. go back now. No, no, you can. Mm-hmm. If if the price is death or I don't know, killing someone else or addiction or crime or like no, you can go back. Like yep. not everybody that's not true for everybody. Not everybody has a support network they can go back to, but by and large, there's somewhere else you can go back to and say, "Look, I need help." You know? Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> trying to do this, he sees it as his only option, and it isn't. And Quentin the cautious or not, you know, like it isn't. No. That's that's in line with the note that I wrote. He he goes, you know, he talks about going back the way he came empty handed and he brings up the three brave men dead, his three companions that died getting there. Yeah. For what? Right? Doesn't matter. That my friend is what is called in business a sunk cost. It's done. They're and gone. You can't weigh it against your future decisions. Yeah, loss of life doesn't justify further loss of life, right? Yeah. <laughs> But we do it. You, you've talked about it. How often do we keep doing things we know we shouldn't just because we feel we're already in too deep, right? Yeah. And. Yep. Don't. I, Dorn wants you alive more than anything, bud. However, I want to just say there are some things you should absolutely keep doing, especially if you're in too deep. Yeah, I said it. I won't disagree with you there. <laughs> but I'd like to hear more detail of what you're talking about. You can check out my other site. It is <laughs> Scadex Tales. Don't Google that. Oh, it doesn't it's, exist. It's, it's unspeakable. <laughs> it is unspeakable. <laughs> oh, and we just lost every listener we ever had. Whoosh, yeah. Out the door. Yeah. Oh, but on that light note, I do, I do like the... Uh, um, the the bandying back and forth about how to pronounce people's names and stuff. Yes, Harzu? calls them Har Harzu. Yes. And they're like, "What was his name again?" Archie Ironwood and Garrus are like, "No, it was his darn uh, Harzu." It was. I call and... them all Harzu. I can relate, big man. I can relate. I, and somebody on right. Twitter earlier today was it uh, Morena? Is that her name? It was Miss. It was Miss G. Miss yeah. G. Why did I come up with Morena? Anyway, Miss G said the same thing. <laughs> like, I don't remember any of these people. <laughs> like, I assume she's suffering from the same affliction I do, which is the names yep. are too similar. I don't know them. Call them all Harzu yeah. and forget it. Yeah. And it's almost like Germ is either trolling us yeah, or he's, he's trolling himself. Yeah. Right? yeah. He's totally playing into yeah. it. Like, I get it, guys. And we're going to laugh about it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I thought it was super clever by him to throw that in there. Yeah. Is there uh is there value in in having Danny without the dragons? To who? Well the value to who? The, going back to this, I I probably should have brought up back in the previous discussion, but regarding Danny was not the prize he was after. And I'm not 
I'm not sure about that. The pact with, with Viserys had nothing to do with Viserys and, and Arianne. Had nothing to do with dragons. There were no dragons at the time that pact was created. There was value in having Viserys without any dragons. Isn't there value in having Danny even without dragons? I guess I'm just calling into question the fact that he's saying Danny wasn't the prize. And maybe that's the whole point of the chapter name, the Spurned Suitor, that he's changing his mind yeah, because I, he's angry at her. He's changing. Yeah. But he is. But I think Or maybe not even angry, but he just feels like that ship has sailed. And yeah. There's no chance he's getting her. So there there was a there was an interesting conversation over the past few weeks uh in the Facebook group, group that our 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 blood rider Beth uh helps manage um Song of Ice and Fire book club uh, sorry Beth I butchered it. <laughs> it's awesome. It's a great book. It's all 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 book based. It's a great discussion, but they were talking about Absolutely. uh they were talking about what is Danny's worth if if she hadn't been given or hatched those dragons. Like, where is she now? Like, does she have worth? And there's some interesting discussion around that. And it just made me think, in the context of this episode, you know, what would her panic, what what would her path have been? And you know, would Quint even be here if the dragons weren't hatched? Would he be? I think so. In fact, I'd have to go back and look at the chapter. I hate that I just. I hate it when I back myself into a corner. I backed you but into that corner. I don't, you didn't do it to yourself. You're welcome. I don't I, I don't feel like when Doran sent Quentin out that he said, Danny's got dragons, bring her back with the dragons. No, but he I knew she it had was, him. Just go get just go get Danny. Yeah. Yeah, but he did know she had him at that point. It was like a package deal kind of thing. But They'd probably yeah, the stuff that made it back to Westeros, I don't know that was we'd had any confirmed like someone witnessed saw the dragons and came back to Westeros and told the tale. I think it was mostly hearsay, wasn't it? Those rumors maybe. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. So, but that's a good question. Does she have value? We know that she probably does. She's a good leader who um she deals with, you know, yeah. kind of two sides of, of the Danny coin, which is trying to be that ruler that seeks for peace and, and kind of serenity and living the ideal life. And well, then there's the, the other one that gives in to the dragon, right? That, yep. yeah, the, the fire side of Danny. Um, but for the most part, she's, she's got a good heart and, um, you know, not to mention the Royal blood, which I think Doran is focusing on, but we know that she'd be a good ruler for the most part, but yeah. boy, those dragons sure are enticing. I asked the question poorly. To me, for sure, she has value. I, I meant mm -hmm. from like an outsider's perspective that does not know her. Yeah. You know, like uh, I, I love Danny. I think she's got great value. But um, yeah, to to Doran, to to somebody that heard that there are dragons, and also maybe heard that there's a sixteen-year-old wayfish girl out there. Um, you know, does she have value to them? As as like a Targaryen, yeah. I guess anyway. in name, yes, but yeah. yeah. Yep. We get arguably one of the greatest lines in the series. <laughs> I was going to say this the chapter, same thing. right? Yeah. Hey, yeah. there we go. And it's given to us by Garrus Drinkwater of all people, yeah. not by Tyrion, not by Jon Snow, Davos, no, not by Maester Aemon. No Septon Maribald here. Yeah. 
Garrus friggin' Drinkwater, the good-looking pal of in Quentin's band, who says men's lives have meaning, not their deaths. Of course, trying to convince Quentin to rethink this dragon idea. Yeah. Yeah, Love great that. line. Um, and, yeah, perhaps... Um perhaps just applicable across the series and and maybe the per, perhaps you know the series summed up in a sentence i believe i think i feel like i've said mm-hmm. that before but this might mm-hmm. be an even better candidate um you know all this death you know <laughs> no good people need to live you know to have impact to have love to right have well meaning. you think of someone like edard stark yeah. Right. And if you focus on him and his death, his death uh, did have some meaning. Actually, a uh, lot. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's a bad off, example. <laughs> it kicked off a whole war and everything. But if you. But you also think about Eddard's life, and you've got these kids that are kind of out in the world, the ones that are still alive, but they're trying to get to each other and they're trying well Arya's is not really trying but they're they're out there trying to you know be brave in the world and stuff like that uh you've got he's got whole people in his who are under his uh i guess you call them his liege lords right yeah. who are risking life and limb to save his kids in his memory yeah right? uh you know Edward's an interesting choice because I mean, really, a lot of what you're referring to here is legacy, right? Like, yeah, the life you lead has impacts on people right. of all kinds. You mentioned liege lords, right, for one example, but also obviously his kids. His kids are out doing all of these things, wonderful or not so wonderful. As we'll see in the cases. next chapter, yeah, <laughs> later on in the episode. <laughs> right. Uh, and And that's kind of like his legacy. And so his life maybe had more meaning, but actually... In Ned's case, his death had a ton of meaning because it, it spun all of those children's lives out of control and really the whole realm out of control as well. So Ned's a weird example, but even still, it's significant because you see the caring man that he was, the teaching man that he was, that did lead his children on the path they're on. And, mm-hmm. uh, so he's still an interesting choice, but yeah. I think you I think you nailed it on the head when you said legacy and I think that's what Garrus is referring to and not in in a few more words is their lives that's your legacy is is what you're and yep. that's what has meaning it's not how you died mm-hmm. right Yep and that's hard to get past right it's it is you know um Kevin Smith our man right Yeah uh, did you did you get to watch that special I haven't watched it yet. Have you? Oh, I don't have. I don't even know how to. Get, I'm. I'm so old, Matt. I don't know. It's on. I, it's on Showtime. Right, so but I don't have Showtime. I don't have Showtime. Who has Showtime either. anymore? I mean, I, I feel like I had Showtime someone, when I was. Someone want to share a Showtime login with us or something? I don't know. But... <laughs> I love you, Showtime. If you're listening, yeah, <laughs> totally. I've been a subscriber forever. Yeah, love we're it. not trying to log in on someone else's credentials. <laughs> nope, that's not what I said. <laughs> But uh, this isn't even about his new stuff, but he he talks about a lot about uh, his dad dying, right? And mm-hmm. he was there when his dad passed. Yeah. And he goes, you know, you know, you you don't want to think about your parents dying or family members dying, but you know, if you have any sort of hope of when that day comes, it's that they go peacefully. And 
You know, it's a very serene passing. And he goes, that's not how my dad died. He died screaming. And you can almost see Kevin's eyes kind of well up as he talks about it. My dad died. He was died of a heart attack or something. And he died screaming. Um, and, and he goes, I can't, he talks about how he can't forget about that. He can't forget the screaming and he can't get past the screaming to remember sometimes the wonderful life that his dad lived and the good father that he was because he comes back to the screaming. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a memory that's and, hard to get over. Right. Yeah. And he describes it so well. It hard. He describes it so well that uh, the first time I read that he may have talked about it before, but the first time I read that was, was when he was responding to his own heart attack. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and it just filled me. I love Kevin, but damn him, he's filled me with fear now. It's something that, <laughs> it's something. That, I mean, I have some heart conditions, small ones. Don't freak out, but I have mm -hmm. some heart conditions myself, and I'm terrified of it now. I'm I think that was his, that's his point. In that is his all point. This. <laughs> Absolutely, it is. But damn him, you know, I was I was reasonably content in my ignorance, and now I'm terrified of dying screaming. And wow, this took a dark turn. Quentin, everybody. Again, my fault. Uh, but yeah, that's the thing though is is we gotta focus on the life and not the not how it ends, right? Yeah, and he's right. Garris is absolutely right. What we leave behind, which is why it's important that we finish this podcast before my heart attack, Matt. <laughs> not gonna. So that I can leave attack. behind a completed work with you. Ugh. <laughs> <sighs> Don't say that again. Indeed. All right. Well, on that note. Ah, uh, happiness. Yeah. Let's see. That's about uh, all I got. Uh, I think that's all I got on this one, too. We didn't even talk about, well, we did a little bit. I guess we talked about it. The down in the cellar, the wine cellar, and the meeting and everything. You covered it well in your summary, so I think we're good there. I mean, I'll cover it real quick. Basically, he agrees to help him for the price of Pentos, which we don't understand. Right. And Quentin wants to steal a dragon. Done. Done. Yeah. <laughs> it did bother me that they're watching slaves kill one another in this bar, this seedy bar, right? Yeah. There are these slave fights going it on. It did not take it, long for the fighting pits to just open everywhere. Just everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. It hit me. Slave fights in Marine are like bad bar bands here oh, in our world. Everywhere. They're yeah. just everywhere. Yeah. And how crappy is that? Yeah. <laughs> That's their entertainment, right? It reminds have you seen have you seen Django Unchained? Uh yes. One of the most disturbing scenes in all of uh, film for I me. I think I know what you're getting at, okay. The scene where they they come up to the, the slave owners that are having their slaves fight each other. Uh-huh. Yep. Just wrestle basically wrestle each other to the death. And spoilers for Django Unchained, everyone, sorry. It's been out for a while. Uh, it has. It's your fault if you haven't seen it. It yet. is. It is one of the most disturbing scenes in film I've ever mm -hmm. seen, and I love that film for several reasons. But I love how great that scene is at being terrible. It is so awful. It is heartbreaking to watch. Yeah. Mission well, accomplished I'm just, on oh, that one. I'm just. I'm just clenching yeah. my fists thinking about it. Mm -hmm. Damn you, Tarantino. Yeah. Mission accomplished on that one. Yeah, for sure. Oh, boy. Okay. Man, wow. it's so dark Look this at episode. Us. You guys love it. Don't pretend you don't. Don't pretend. 
Wallow with us. Wallow <laughs> with us. Yeah. All right. Well, should we move on? We got a question from the Kalasar. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, this one's from our buddy Colin Yu. He's been around for a while. We love you, Colin. Thanks for sticking with us this long. Yeah. Uh, well, he are, he asked two questions. We already answered the one about Solo. You're all going to see Solo before recording. If so, thoughts, please. Um, so, no, I guess we're not seeing it before recording. But uh, it, probably. I'm sure you will hear about it, Colin. Um, you know us by now. We'll talk about it at least in like a little notes section or something. Definitely. Second question. We cr- he says, we come across one of my favorite quotes in this series in the Spurn Suter chapter. Haha, <laughs> men's lives have meaning, not their deaths. I was wondering if you guys have any bookmarked favorite quotes. Would love to hear your top three or five or ten. Whatever you want to narrow it down to. I do not want to do ten. <clears throat> Thank you for the question, Colin. And <laughs> this book is, these books are chock full of good quotes. Do you, uh, do you find any that you really liked? Uh, I, I put an effort into, to, to go back and remember a few, uh, but <laughs> I gave, I gave Colin you the big middle finger because I did not pick three or five or 10. I picked four. Oh, so take that Colin, you, Boy, he's coming supporter after you. That you are, uh, so one is the lone wolf dies, but the pack survives. Okay. Yeah. I love that one. Uh, one that we get, we get a reminder of a little bit later in this very episode, when the sun is set, no candle can replace it. Mm-hmm. It'd be embarrassing if I butchered one of these because I wrote them from memory. I, I think that's how it goes. That's a Loris quote, right? It's Loris about Renly. Yeah. Yeah. Or just maybe he's talking about suns and candles. I don't know. Uh, Men's lives have meaning, not their deaths is certainly on there. I put that one down. Mm-hmm. And then the last one, my boy, Manderly, the North remembers and the Mummer's farce is almost done. Ooh. Yeah. Mummer's farce is just a fun thing to say. Mummer's farce. And that factored in here. Yeah. Okay, you've called the band name Mummer's Farce. (laughs) I won't use it. Uh, I got a Manderly quote, too. So young, though mayhaps this was a blessing. Had he lived, he would have grown up to be afraid. (laughs) That's a great one. I love that line. Yeah, that's great. Uh... Another one that I probably bring up way too often, and I'm sorry to you, Scott. I'm sorry to everyone else, but I just see it as a major theme in this book. From Varys, power resides where men believe it resides. That rings so true. That's in this series? What? (laughs) I'm just kidding. Oh, wait. I thought we were talking about something else. Um I found this little cute one by Molly that I'd written down a long time ago as, as kind of a sweet one. Uh, Molly in the Night's Watch, he says, summer friends will melt away like summer snows, but winter friends are friends forever. It's one to think about. The friends that stick with you through the hard times, right? That's a good one. Um, I could not tell you a thing about Molly. I don't even know who it is. I had written it down a long time ago, and I just had, like, Molly next to it. Hmm. Yeah. Dance with me then. That's Waymar Royce yes. in the prologue. I love that line. Yes. Dance with me then. He's such a jerk, but then when it comes down to just going out in style, he's a dancer. Dance with me then. Oh. Uh, yeah, maybe. Then I've got one more. Dol- Dolores said, "I never win anything. The gods always smiled on Watt, though. 
When the Wild Leagues knocked him off the Bridge of Skulls, somehow he landed in a nice deep pool of water. How lucky was that, missing all those rocks? <laughs> then Gren says, was it a long fall? Did landing in the pool save his life? Ed, no, he was dead already from that axe in his head. <laughs> Still, it was pretty lucky missing the rocks. <laughs> oh, good old Dolores Ed. So there you go, Colin. There's some of our favorite quotes. Thanks for the question, Colin. It was fun. Yeah, that was fun. Okay, Scad, do you want to hit us with the sacrifice? I do. Your smile could make the stars collide. Stars collide, stars collide. Kraken star to catch the tide. Catch the tide, yeah, catch the tide. Daddy loves you best because you're by his side. By his side, by his side. Youngest and a lady, but she'll always hold her steady because she's actually great joy. Take you for a ride. Don't, guys, don't eat while uh, Scad's going through this one. Oh, boy. Oh, it's not bad. Make yourself a nice plate of bacon or something. <laughs> another day and another shitty development for Asha Greyjoy as captive of Stannis Baratheon. The men in his company are cold enough, bored enough, hungry enough, scared enough to make a sacrifice of three of their own men to R'hllor, their god of fire. The Northmen quibble that Red Ralu, as Big Bucket calls him, has no power here, and that the old gods will not appreciate the sacrifice. Nevertheless, the execution will go on as scheduled, and Asha plans to watch. They had been three miles from Winterfell for 19 days. 19 days! And they were very nearly out of food. The men are hungry enough that some were turning to cannibalism. Four of those were caught. And now they will roast, just like the forearm of the man they had eaten, as decreed by Stannis. While Asha had no faith in their red god, she did hope it coincided with a change to the weather, or she might be the next lamb chosen for sacrifice. The cannibals are lashed to some poles and lit on fire. They, uh, they burn, as Stannis watches. And many chant back in their religious tones as Sir Godfrey Faring leads a stirring prayer to the red god. The ugly deed done, Stannis retreats to his lone tower and to his beacon fire to watch the flames for answers. And Asha... Accosted by Clayton Suggs, a pig of a man that tells her to be prepared because she might be next. Justin Massey saves her from the tedious conversation with the aggressively handsy Suggs, though, and takes her to dinner, if you want to call it that, ale and a small portion of horse flesh from their quickly diminishing supply of horses. Then the conversation from dinner, uh, from every dinner in recent memory, happens again. March on and die in the storm, stay here and die of starvation. Retreat and die. None of them appealing options, though everyone seems to have a very strong opinion about which way they'd like to die best. Arnulf Karstark, perhaps the chiefest among them, who assures them that if they march now, they will bathe in the blood of Freys and Boltons before the moon can turn. Though he might have the most to gain from such a march, he, after all, is the one that gets Winterfell should they succeed. Justin Massey disagrees, preaching death if they should march. He's called a coward for it and leaves in a huff. Asha follows, only to be engulfed in the blizzard outside the dining hall and lost almost immediately. She stumbles her way back to the execution ground where she again runs into Clayton Suggs. Still aggressive, still abusive. Thankfully, he is stopped short of doing any physical damage by the emergence of horses from the blizzard. Clayton fumbles with his sword and tells Asha to raise the alarum. She doesn't. Triss Botley comes down from off his horse, accompanied by all the other living ironborn from Asha's party, including her lover, Carl the Maid. 
They had escorted banker Tycho Nestoris. Remember that guy from the wall that was looking for Stannis? They've escorted him through the storms to find Stannis. He ransomed them from Lady Glover for this very purpose. Asha laughs at the appearance of the banker in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of a blizzard. But she does not laugh at what he has brought her. An old man. A stinking, ugly wisp of an old man. Who? Her brother. Theon recognizes her, though she never would have recognized him. My, the tables have turned. And that is the end of the chapter. So Theon survived. Theon survived his fall into the into the snowbank along with yeah. uh, along with Lady Jane. She sure did. And a hell of a reveal at the end of this chapter. I mean, I think um, I don't know. It's it's hard, it's hard to remember what you felt like the first time you read this chapter or the Theon one where he jumped, but. It's hard to believe that Theon would have ended that way. So I think I kind of expected mm-hmm. him to turn up somewhere. But this, sure. But this was still a surprise. Mm-hmm. It was still a huge surprise. Um, and yeah, great. I mean, other other than other than that final moment, this chapter was kind of boring. I don't really go in for the religious sacrifice. Yeah. The way you feel about it. But, I mean, let's just start there. Let's just talk sacrifices to the gods. This has been a dark enough episode. Let's keep it going. Man. What, what the effing hell, Matt? Like, Let's lean into this. What? Let's lean into this. Why would any god, like, pretend we're humans for a second. Oh, wait, we are. Why would any god actually want something like this? Why would a human expect that a god would want some sort of murder of another human to, like, respect them? Like... Like where where does this logic even come from? Right? It's it's like we as people are deciding what God wants. Yes. I mean there must be like some sort of literature or evidence or something they're using to fall back on, but that had to come from somewhere. Mm-hmm. And again, it was some human inventing that God's like that. Yeah. Biblically, uh-huh. you know, sacrifice is a sign of humility. It's a sign of devotion. But you're usually um, sacrificing something of your own. Right, yeah. And that's one of the big differences between the Old Testament and the New Testament in the Bible. Uh, Old Testament, you know, was very much, I'm going to give you these really strict laws that you have to follow. You have to sacrifice a lamb. It has to be the firstborn lamb. It's going to be the best. And and that was meant to prepare the people to live a higher law, which came in the New Testament when Jesus Christ came, which was, you just give, you you sacrifice to me through your works, through the good things that you do for other people, right? Putting other people ahead of you, uh, seeking my glory type of thing. And through your it's faith not, and devotion. The, right, the, the you, works, you demonstrate faith is... and devotion yeah. through your works, Right. The yeah. demonstration of faith is through works. Yeah. I believe in God, therefore I do this. That depends on the religion. Some some Christian religions don't. Yes, this is this is my us... understanding of it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Some Christian religions put put more focus on the works component than others. But um, but regardless, it's it's about it's it's certainly about personal personal sacrifice in some way. Absolutely, not yes. about like I'm gonna burn this dude. 
not that I'm not that I'm praising the awesomeness of Christianity over other religions, but I just I've never I've never understood this in any in any, like why why would any god want what do they benefit yeah, from this? What does he get from it? <laughs> like, exactly. I totally agree. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 about the attitude, right? The one of the a Bible story that came to me uh, when I was reading this chapter. I don't know if you've heard of it. That's called the widow's mite. Uh, no, you know that one? no. There's one where Jesus was around, and they witnessed this thing where you know people would go to the the temple and they would give money to to, to maintain the temple and stuff like that. They would donate money, and these rich guys in the city would give a whole bunch of money right? Because they could. And then there was this one poor widow that came up and put in two mites, mites being small coins of very low value. And she was kind of ridiculed a little bit for doing that. And like, what are two mites going to do to help the temple? And Jesus taught his disciples, that woman gave more than all of those rich guys combined, because they gave a little bit of what they had, but she gave everything that she had. You know what I mean? That's what you're looking for. I've heard a similar, similar story about, you know, yeah, the similar, like, I guess it's probably been turned into lots of parables and other things from there. Yeah. yeah, I've heard similar stories, yeah. That's what my understanding of what God, a God or gods are looking for, not this crap. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense at all. I, I just... like what you said at the beginning of your summary, chalking it up in part to boredom. I didn't think about that before. Or desperation, or yeah, like... Yeah, into it. Yeah. Like, we're doing something wrong! Uh-huh. Let's try burning someone! <laughs> I guess. Clayton Suggs is over like, yeah! Yeah, Clayton Suggs has got his pants on his ankles. <laughs> enjoying it too much. You guy's disgusting. Yeah, he is. He's terrible. Uh, but yeah, it's... The desperation, the boredom, it's amazing what that will lead people to do. Yeah. Maybe we'll get into that a little bit more with Victorian here in another chapter. Mm-hmm. Holy, mm. holy cow. Yep. Themes and things. Oh, my goodness. So the Ironborn are back. Tris Botley specifically. Mm-hmm. You know, I kind of... Let me start here. Asha doesn't need a man. Don't care if she ends up with one totally cool character can do whatever the hell she wants yep but if she's gonna end up with somebody i'd kind of like her to end up with tris botley really yeah he's he's nothing but reliable he shows, he's devoted he's devoted he shows up he shows up here completely unexpected leading this party it's noted that carl the maid's in the party he's not leading it you know and, and Triss does seem to have a little bit more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A little bit more than than the average Ironborn man does. Sophistication. That's oh, what I'm okay. looking for. Yeah. He seems to be slightly more sophisticated than your average Ironborn. I don't know, but. Perhaps. I, yeah, I, I could see that. I mean, Carl, I would say maybe that about Carl too, but, um, but with Triss... Earlier chapters paint him as this kind of lovesick puppy, you know, mm-hmm. like he can't get out of his own way because he's so in love, you know, kind of a thing. 
But like here he is, you know, pulling his big boy pants up, leading this thing, making it happen, you know, like. And he's... dude, if you're if you're gonna survive that brutal battle outside of Deepwood Mott, you you yeah, you know, your your money in my book if yeah. you survive that battle, which he did, which he did. Oh. And yeah. I just feel like he's now he's like, okay. I gotta, sh- I gotta show her. It's not just telling her. Like I gotta show her what I'm about, and we'll we'll see. I mean, there's there's not nearly enough to go on here, but I just kind of, I just kind of like him. He's someone you root for. I can see that. Yeah, I just kind of like him. See that? Mm-hmm. And the Botleys, you know, they're a good house, and not that I care really about that, I guess. But you know, I just like him. It'd be, it'd That's be a, cool. It'd be a feel good story. Yeah. And on that note, I guess. A little bit of a weird choice. No reunion at all between the lovers. Yeah, they don't even... She doesn't even think about him, really. It's mentioned that he's there, and she says there's nothing. Carl. Yep. And it, there's no... I mean, you know, she's not maybe the type to, like, go fall into his arms or whatever, or he the other way. But... <laughs> but, but there's nothing. Like, Neri mentioned, my friend Mary... Uh, <laughs> she she can't get into these these books, or even the show, really... Uh, because there's no romance in it. It's like mm. there's no romance anywhere. I'm like, well, no romance, no. But there is love. Like you have to look for it. But like the undertones are all there. Like you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. But she, you know, she wants kind of like the sweeping romance, and it's like, yeah, that ain't happening. George yep. doesn't really go in for that. And here's an example, right? Like this was a perfect example to have some sort of reunion. She's been through mm-hmm. probably the most harrowing few weeks of her life. And nothing, you know, mm-hmm. for comfort or eh, anyway. That's a good point. I hadn't thought about it. And it brought to mind the potential little bickerings that we could get. You've got Carl, you've got Triss, and then you got this Justin Massey dude thrown in there too. Oh, yeah. Could yeah. be. Could be fun. What's what's the name of the game show in Mallrats that could play uh, Win, Loser, Date? What's oh, yeah. <laughs> Yes, I know what you're talking about. Is that about. what it's called? I don't remember. It's been too long. I don't long. remember either. Yeah. I'm watching Ball Rats tonight. I'm going to sleep after we finish. Yes, <laughs> me too. It's already almost 1130, and yeah. we're only halfway through the episode, so yeah, yes, we're yeah, going yeah. to bed. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a weeknight. That's okay. how much we love y'all. Um, uh, so, apparently, the profession of banker is a pretty bad-A profession. And you get a nice hat. In the world of ice and fire. Because uh, I don't know any bankers that would go traipsing through a blizzard to get places to hunt down a client. It's uh, it's pretty legit of Tycho Nestoris there. Yeah. yeah this pretty guy's awesome. all in. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it goes to show, like, how, how much debt the current crown is in and how valued another regime is to them mm-hmm. that you know they're willing to send this guy he's, out there he's gonna go the distance yeah <laughs> he's gonna see it through or maybe it just goes Man. to show how much they care about in individual life they're like go look for him maybe there are 50 of these guys out looking for him <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> they don't care at all about these lives <laughs> who knows it's one of one of the two there you go yeah <laughs> So, uh, Balon has King's blood now. 
So they, well, they, yeah. they talk about, you know, sacrificing Asha because she has king's, king's blood. blood. Yeah. Matt, if I declare I'm a baby. king on Tuesday, do my kids have king's blood? Yep. I am a king. Well, my kids now all have hail king's Prince blood. Mary and Prince Pippin. Exactly. This is just, yeah. it's one of the things, I know I harp on it sometimes, this is one of the things that bothers me most about these books. I love these books so much, my heart hurts that I, I want the next one so badly. But, this blood thing is ridiculous. <laughs> it's ridiculous, Matt. It's stupid. I hate it. The blood is so thinned out, everybody's got a piece of it at this point, with all mm-hmm. the intermarrying. Like, Balon was never a king of anything. There's no king's blood in Asha, and I realize it's human interpretation that she would have it, and maybe if they sacrificed her, it would do nothing, but like... Desperation, man. <sighs> yeah. Fine. It's just dumb. I hate it. It is! Yeah, this whole blood thing, rightful king. The rightful king is the one who takes the throne. Yeah. That's my opinion. Power is where people think it resides, etc. Yeah. Rightful king is the one who takes it. Yeah. End of story. And then when they have kids, king's blood. Because they were the king. Because they took the crown. End of story. Yep. That's pretty much <laughs> sorry, it. That's... Sorry, Stanny boy. Stanny boy. Oh, mm-hmm. Stanny and I have a complicated relationship. But... What What is he doing locked up in that tower? So he's just been up there. He's looking at the fires. Yeah. He's like, I can't see a thing. Yeah. He's grating through his teeth. He has no teeth left. He's grated them right down to the gum. Um, but man, are we meant to feel the hopelessness of this situation? I think we talked about it with the last Asha chapter, but and then the. Uh, the scene in the dining hall, quote unquote, as you mentioned it, mm-hmm. it's just it just goes to show that there's no right choice here. And you know, you talk about this big battle that's going to occur and everything. These guys aren't even going to be able to lift swords if when a battle comes. Yeah, it's just man. We'll talk about it in Davos After Dark, but this does not look good. No, it doesn't, and uh, you know it only looks good maybe in comparison to the other people who also are in shitty shape, right? Yeah, like, sure. Like We've... nobody's really doing great here. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and and, and maybe we'll talk just more be about that. it in Dogs yeah. Under Dark with uh, with where this where this sits, but yeah, it's 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 certainly not a good position for either of them. Yeah, we no longer have eyes in Winterfell since Theon jumped, um, but uh, we as readers, anyways. But um, yeah, the situation was not going well in there either. And it's just these—just imagine these two sides battling that can barely lift weapons. And yeah, she's like, you know what? You could have the victory. Just come on into Winterfell. I don't even care anymore. <laughs> yeah, I just want to eat something. And yeah, and again, all I can say is Davos after dark to that. But um, yeah, the, the the people inside Winterfell are not happy. The people here, three miles outside of Winterfell, are ha- aren't happy. The happiest people around actually seem to be these twenty people 
these 20 ironborn with the banker they seem like they've weathered through this thing fine somehow i don't know how but yeah they've got their horses yeah they seem kind of okay it's like yeah how did you do it they didn't have a baggage train i suppose you're not gonna have those horses for long yeah yeah that's right they're gonna be dinner tomorrow yeah um but yeah this uh you know george keeps us focused so much on the on the immediate stuff which is this upcoming battle that for me i was you know i was thinking about this storm and it can't be a coincidence that the winter's coming on so hard and i thought about that quote about is it the cold that brings the others or the others that bring the cold mm-hmm. and i can't help but be thinking like george is trying to distract me but something's coming here man something's coming here and yeah, I don't know how far these dudes are away. Yeah, I know they've got a wall between them right now, but at the same time, he's done a coming. he's done a masterful job of teaching us that maybe it's not that because they talk about how like every winter is like this. The uh, North, yeah, the Northmen you're are right. Like, this is just the Northmen have what said. Do they call yeah. it this is just you're right. Winter's first kiss or something. She fucks you hard. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the exact quote, but like. This is just a bit the beginning. Right. Like this is a, not that abnormal of a of a thing, uh, is is what the Northmen are saying. But at the same time, yeah, you can't throw away the other quote you mentioned. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, they're, they're talking about like if it's it's like fall for them. <laughs> it's like yeah. a, this is like autumn still, guys. But you can't you, you can't get away from it though. I mean, the storm is meant to imbue the reader with some sense of dread and hopelessness uh-huh. otherwise otherwise he wouldn't do it right i mean what other purpose does it serve uh you know other than like delaying delaying them for a while for the book to end i don't know i i mean i think i think you're right it's meant to imbue us with something like that to remind mm-hmm. us or to, to give us a sense of hopelessness or waiting or something well consider me imbued <laughs> Yeah, he used that word twice in the last three minutes, and I probably haven't used it in a decade. <laughs> Look at you. You're all fancy now. Using the bug words. All right. All right. Well, what else you got about the sacrifice? Um, the car Starks. I don't know. You want to talk about them at all? Yeah, um, they're there. He's there. Arnulf is there. Um, he's supposed to be the person that gets Winterfell if they take it. Um, mm-hmm. and, and we'll rule, but uh, remember that Alice showed up at the wall and had a, you know kind of a different story to tell about the Karstarks in general. That they aren't they aren't doing good things. That they're you know they're in it for themselves. Anyway, uh, so anyway, that's all. Just interesting things with the Karstarks there. Uh, you know, Alice basically indicated that these guys are not to be trusted. Here they are, mm-hmm. um, and. You know, Arnold seems ready to go. Yep. Ready to roll. He brought uh, about 400 guys, 450 guys or something like that to yes. add to the troops. Didn't bring any additional food. No, but just brought more men. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of food, no fish in the lakes. They're, yes. These guys are out of it food. Is... They're eating horses, and they got very little left. Uh-huh. What do you think, Scad? This is, this is a... A gross question and maybe an unanswerable one, but is it okay to turn to cannibalism in situations like this? 
Yeah. Sorry. Yes. It absolutely. Uh, I don't. I hold, agree with. <laughs> I don't hold. Uh, you know, again, the uh, I don't know whether it's the atheist in me or whatever, but like, life is precious. You need to hold on to it with what you have, and mm-hmm. eating someone that's dead already, they're dead to me. That's it's they're just dead. it's just meat. Um, you know, even even to some degree, if you take the religious component out of it, the soul is what matters to most religious people, not the body. And meat, if it can sustain someone, agreed. But yeah, go for it. I, I don't. I have no. You know, okay. I, I'm sure I would. I'm sure I would vomit the first time I tried and like really have a struggle with it if I were actually called to do it, but. No judgment from me. Okay, I'm with you. That wasn't as hard to answer at all then, because I'm <laughs> I'm 100 with you. Like, yeah, you gotta live, man. Yeah, Absolutely. and it would be hard. It would suck. Yeah, but starving would suck too. So try, try to eat people you don't know. That's gonna be the best way. You, can, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go to the other side of the camp. Yeah. <laughs> Pick someone out from there. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, there's that whole, um, there's that whole execution method. I don't know if you, if you know, but, um, when they do like firing, like firing squad, um, Mm -hmm. one of the, they'll, you know, they'll have like several gunmen, uh, doing the firing and Mm -hmm. one of them is given a blank so that you can always have that in the back of your mind. Like, Oh, it wasn't me that did it. Maybe I had the blank. Yeah. Right. Like maybe you mix maybe you mix the human meat with horse flesh, and you're like maybe you had the horse flesh. You don't you don't know. There you go. Yeah. Right? Maybe. Although I'm mm-hmm. sure you can tell the difference between horse and human, but anyway, you get the point. Yep. All right, you ready for Victorion? Uh, yeah. Did I where did I stick that other one? Okay, oh, I did stick did this one about. So we talked about religion. Figured I'd stick this question from B Word. This is a tough question, but our friend Beth, the Queen Bee on the Wall, asked uh, If you lived in the world of ice and fire, what religion would you subscribe to? I had a tough time with this one, Scad. Yeah. Couldn't find one. Couldn't find one. They all suck. How <laughs> can I do? Uh... I mean, seven is obviously in similitude of Christianity. Right, yeah, Catholicism is is what it reminds me of. Which I am a Christian, mm-hmm. but uh, I'm not down. I'm not down with the seven. It's, I wouldn't. I don't think I'd be down with that. But uh, the Relore thing doesn't appeal to me either. Um, Any religion that subscribes to burning people alive or dead is it's a tough sell. Totes, totes. So maybe I go old gods, but. That seems kind of – there's some stuff there that worries me a little bit. However, it's also just very simple. The old god stuff is seems to be very simple of what we know about it. So yeah. maybe that's what I'd land yeah, at. It's very much like a nature-based druidic kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, if we're talking about like the major religions that we learn most about, that's what I'd go with. But I really kind of hate all of them. Um, mm-hmm. You think you'd go atheist no, I, in, uh, in World of Ice and Fire too? Well, well, I want to be clear. I, I, I don't like the religions. That doesn't mean I don't like reading about them. I, I'm fascinated sure. by the world that he's created, and I, I love, I love reading about it. I don't mean to be negative about the story. I just, yeah. I wouldn't want to participate in any of them. Uh, yeah. So I went with Aquan the Red Bull. 
<laughs> I, I was looking at those Essos ones, yeah. too. Because <laughs> at least I'd get a hamburger now and then from the bulls that they swa- slaughter all the time. They slaughter a white calf every three weeks or something. And, right. Uh, at least maybe I'd get some of that hamburger meat. So that's the one I went with. Hey, I like that one, too. I, I considered the uh, Mother Roin stuff. Uh, yeah. They've got cool gods, like a big turtle and stuff. A I, hermit I think or I'd something? be down with something like, like a... that. Something. Yeah. They got all sorts of great stuff, but <laughs> so thanks, B-word. old man of the river, the giant turtles. Yeah, this was a fun question that really had to put some thought into. So it was. Thanks, don't, B. don't take my dismissal of the <laughs> of not really choosing one uh, uh-huh. to be lack of care for the question. I thought about it for a while. <laughs> Me too, <laughs> but I just couldn't. I couldn't bring myself to do it. So let us know what you'd pick. Yeah. Uh, speaking of picking religion, should we jump over to Victorian? Let's do that right now. I don't know that the old way is a good way, but it's the one way to say that the Kraken ain't dead. Kraken ain't dead. Kraken ain't dead. Victorian singing, the Kraken ain't dead. Kraken ain't dead. Kraken ain't dead, Victorion singing. Victorion won. So this is a really fun chapter to read. But it's a it's a bit of a bore to hear me summarize. I tried reading through a summary and I was like, then this happened, then this happened. It's just kind of kind of tough. It basically follows Victorian's fleet up the coast toward Marine as they capture ships to embolden their fleet. So I've taken a bit of a different approach. Really, this chapter is about three things. Ships taken news learned, and prophecies of Makoro made. So I'm just going to try to fly through it that way. So I've tried to relate them together or whatever um, as the chapter goes, and we'll see how it goes. It might be super ineffective. I guess we'll see. And then at the Mm -hmm. end, I do have a little reading from the chapter that I want to do. Um, So uh, it starts out with the Gaskari Dawn, just out of Yunkai after trading with Marine, a trading galley that gives them uh, a total of 54 ships. The news they give is... Uh, the war for Marine has been won by Yunkai, is what they tell him. The Dragon Queen is dead. His Dak is ruling now. His Dak. But Makoro counters with prophecy. Danny is not dead. This was seen in his fires. And there are no gods but R'hllor and the Great Other. Forget any of those other gods you're talking about, Victorion. So next, a sudden storm causes three of Victorian's ships to go missing, bringing them back down to 51 ships. Makoro assures Vic that the three ships will come back to them off the Isle of Yaros. A Myrish cog, next, named Dove, with carpets, lace, and wine, and a spyglass that Vic's keep, Vic keeps for himself, uh, is added to the fleet, giving them a total of 52. They don't really give them any news, since they're out of Mir, west of, which is west of Atlantis, one of the free cities. Uh, and all they really know is there are Dothraki on the Rhoyne, Golden Company is on the march. All old, really old news, like stuff we found out a long, long time ago. Uh, so nothing really new there. Next, they encounter two swift and empty trading galleys uh, on their way to New Gis. Uh, they're on their way to New Gis to load up on supplies for the Giscari legions outside of Marine to bring more troops to replace those that have been lost. This brings their fleet back up to 54 again. They also bring some news that there are thousands dying at the gates of Marine. That's why they're bringing more troops. But they're not 
dying from battle, they're dying from sickness, the pale mare. Also, repeating the news that Danny is indeed dead. The Dragon Queen is dead. It's important to note also that Makoro had prophesied this. He told them well before it happened that hey, we're we're going uh we're 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 going uh east here. As soon as we turn north again, we're gonna come on two more swift ships that you're gonna take. And indeed, like I just said, that's what happened. So Makoro is he's batting a thousand here. Um he regains his lost ships, like I just said. So just as they turn north, they get them. Um, so, uh, so he gets the lost ships. That brings them up to 57, just as, as Makora predicted that they would. Um, then they capture three more ships, two traders and a fishing dinghy, bring the total to 60. They're filled with wine, silk, spices, rare woods. Um, nothing, no news from these ships. Um, and then bringing their total to 61, they get a slaver galley north of Yunkai. These are, uh, these are boys and men and women uh, trained in the, the art of, of sexual satisfaction. The boys are thrown into the sea, the women given to his men, save seven he kept for himself. But he only kept them to sacrifice them to both gods, R'hllor and Drowned God, to do with, uh, you know, for those gods to do with as they see fit with the sacrifice. Again, I don't know what gods care about sacrificing humans, but they're doing it. As the fire consumed the ship and it sank, he thought their screams turned to joy. Anyway, they were able to tell him before he killed them that the black dragon returned to Marine and took Danny with him back to the Dothraki Sea. Interesting. More news than saying, Danny isn't dead, she's with the dragon on the Dothraki Sea. So now we're left with, that's all the ships. So the fleet is at 61, uh, and they're heading toward Marine. We get a little bit more prophecy from Makoro toward the end of the chapter. He warns Victarion that his drowned god is a demon, a thrall of the Great Other. Hmm, interesting. He also tells Victarion that despite the fact that he worships this thrall of the Great Other, glory awaits him according to the Red God. The Red God sees something in Victarion. And then we get some interesting passages with Vic and the Dragonhorn. Makoro says the Dragonhorn will work if he claims it with blood. He need not be the man who blows it, for that man will perish, but he must claim the horn. He also reads the Valyrian glyphs that are on it. One of them says, I am Dragonbinder. Dragonbinder, that's interesting. One says, no mortal man shall sound me and live. And one says... Blood for fire, fire for blood. And that's pretty much the chapter, but I do want to read a stirring speech real quick that Vic gives before they take one of these uh, one of these ships. Uh, it's actually before they, they join they, before they get into Slaver Bay and they're gonna meet the slavers kind of head on in battle. These slavers are feeble things. You've seen how they run before us, heard how they squeal when we put them to the sword. Every man of you is worth twenty of them, for only we are made of iron. Remember this when first we next spy some slaver's sails. Give no quarter and expect none. What need have we of quarter? We are the ironborn, and two gods look over us. We will seize their ships, smash their hopes, and turn their bay to blood. Intense. Intense. I'm glad you read that. 
because it stuck out to me is as big a meathead as Victorion is, he he knows how to be a leader of the Ironborn. Yes, he does. He does for sure, and getting out away from Euron and kind of being this element, you know, he's kind of battling. We mentioned in the last chapter uh, with Victorian, he's kind of battling the elements and second guessing a lot of thing, and what does God want me to do, and all these kind of things. Uh-huh. Um, this is where he's in his element. But when Finding yeah, when ships, it gets down to battle, taking and... them, mm-hmm. marauding. This is this is the best Victorian we see. You know, I don't mean best morally, perhaps, but like the most effective, most confident. His best self. His yeah. best self. Yeah. Seizing things, just empowered to to to, to battle and, and to take. Inspiring just, his men. Yeah. Yeah, he's effective. He's a good leader in that way. Another talent he has that I'd love to see him do is uh, naming heavy metal bands. Because <laughs> he's great at coming up with names for his ships, and I think he'd do a good job. Uh, let's see, we got Lamentation. Think of these. Think of these would be good metal names: Red God's Wrath, Shrike, Forlorn Hope, Thrall's Bane, Slaver's Skin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are pretty Vic. good. Those are pretty yeah. good. And he just like spits them out. He could he could do this all day. Yeah, he could name ships all day. Vitarian, what is best in life? It's a Conan quote. Oh. You don't know that seen, one? I've, I've not seen Conan. Well, it's been decades at least, but I know this quote. It's I've uh, never seen Conan. Conan, what is best in life? To crush your enemies, to see them driven before you, and to hear the lamentations of the women. Conan, what is best in life? To crush your enemies... See them driven before you, and they hear a lamentation of the women. That is good. Sounds like Victorian. Sounds like Victorian. Yeah, it definitely does. Yeah, yep. you got it. But also, though, on a softer side, Victorian, breaker of chains. Yeah. Right. Who now have the privilege of row. rowing for the Iron, for the Iron Fleet. Fleet? You're totally free, though. Yep. Yep. Love to Although, see what happened if you decided to take that freedom and go somewhere else. I wonder. It's it, it but it does kind of smack like what he's doing is he's kind of uh relating to, to Daenerys, who is the he breaker is. of chains and one hundred percent is, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. he's got maybe he's got the message a little wrong, but it's it's actually not that different than what she says to the unsullied. Yeah. You're free. Go if you want. He doesn't say go if you want, but she knows they're not going anywhere. Go if you yeah, want or staying. serve me, right? Mm-hmm. That's basically what he offers them. They're not; th- these rowers aren't going to go anywhere. They don't know anything either. They're going to keep rowing. What are they going to do if they That's stop rowing? Right? Yep. Like they're trapped. This is, you know, socio-economic. You know, whatever. And what this and what it did for Danny was well, we don't know the minds and hearts of all the unsullied, but you know, certainly people like Grey Worm and some of the others that we know is her just her gesture of doing that. Yeah, may inspired more loyalty. Yeah, and uh, I don't know if the same things happening with Victorian and these rowers, but probably I don't not. Know. Yeah. Probably not. Probably not. You know, one of the things we don't talk about Danny probably enough about, like she seems to just kind of inspire loyalty in people. Totally, and that's what makes her a great leader. Yeah, and you see that from Victorian too, in a sense. Mm-hmm. But I think it's really only in those 
that are like him. I don't know if that's a fair thing to say. Yeah, I get a feeling his men would go down swinging for him in a heartbeat. No questions asked. It feels a little bit that way. But but but, but they're also very much like him. They're, yeah, they're, in essence, totally. he's, pre- he's preaching to a choir. Mm-hmm. I feel like Danny kind of, just kind of everybody falls for her, I feel like. Yep. Anyway, I don't know. How did this go about Danny? Anyway. Well, that's what it's, that's what it is to him. Yeah. He's also a poet. On wings of song, I fly to you, Daenerys. Yeah, he's in a weird headspace, man. <laughs> Go Vic, man. He's deluded. <laughs> she doesn't even know you exist. Like, literally doesn't know you exist. Maybe has heard a tale of, of the Ironborn or two. I fly to you. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Of course, the song that he's referring to is the maiden screaming on the boat as they on the raft as they burn up. Yeah, yeah. This this horn though that he's got, I don't know. Kind of interesting. <sighs> yeah, you don't buy it. Well, we've seen that it has some sort of power. As he related in the chapter, there was what's his what's his bucket that uh, blew the horn and ended up toast. Yeah, but what happens? But, so like, I don't know. Maybe they have to be like in hearing range or something. But like, other than that dude dying, what happened when he blew the horn? Just him dying. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing. So I, that's what I'm talking about. Is there some sort of power within the horn? Yeah. But is that power? actually the binding of dragons okay valyrian glyphs valyrians don't fuck around with dragons like they know their stuff uh which which this is the point i'm hinting at and i'll come at it hard now makoro can say whatever he wants because victorian has no idea but i i don't get any guile from him now i know we don't have his pov but like from Makoro? Yeah, I don't. We've seen two POVs, you know, yeah, assessing he's so him. So weird to me. Yeah, and he just seems straight up prophecy man. I am prophecy man. I will tell you mm-hmm. what the Red God says. This is true, whether you will believe it or not. Yeah. Like I don't. I don't get that he's like he doesn't. I could be wrong for sure, and you know, there's going to be so much crow I have to eat when the next book comes out. But whatever. Like I, I feel like. I don't feel like he's manipulating the situation. I feel mm. like he's being honest in what he believes with almost everything. Yeah. I don't feel that way. No? No. Here's I, here's I, why. He he's right. He threw himself overboard to yes. survive in the ocean, assuming yes. that he was going to meet Victorian. Uh-huh. Like... But, go ahead. Finish. Sorry. Well, why... <laughs> You don't do that unless you've got some sort of real calling to, like, yes, he can lie to Victorian about what the horn says, but he can't lie to the world about the fact that he believes that he's going to get rescued by a boat if he throws himself in the ocean. That's mm-hmm. dumb luck. He believed it. It happened. There's some sort of power there. I mean, it's really rare for, I don't know. I mean, you're right. He could have just said, oh, yeah, I had a vision this would happen. It totally did. He could have said that, but... I don't know. I don't see it that way. Yeah. What I'm getting at is here's here's the thing that made me go, eh. 
is 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 this little these two little lines together. Um, he says, "Every night in my fires, I glimpse the glory that awaits you." Uh-huh. Uh, qu- end quote. And then the next line is, "Those words pleased Victorian mightily." Yeah. And and I'm just suspicious. Mm-hmm. Is is Victorian? Does he really glimpse that mighty glory that awaits Victorian, or is he just buttering Victorian up so that Makoro can get to where he wants to go? Is 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 Victorian the vessel? He could for be getting Victorian to where he is, so he's just buttering up him up right now and telling him all these things. It, it could and that's be. what I'm suspicious of. It could be, but narratively, what we see in this chapter over uh-huh. and over and over again, is Makoro being right about shit. Yes, and I do have a question about and that. And so to underscore that with, oh no, that was, I was just lying about that. That doesn't seem to narratively fit. What it feels like is they give you all these examples of mm-hmm. him being right about shit so mm-hmm. that when he tells you this thing about a character you think is doomed, you believe it. I'm convinced mm-hmm. Victorian has a major role to play. And we'll get more into that in Davos After Dark. But this chapter, I, it didn't happen to me the first time I read it, it didn't happen to me the second time I read it, but this time, reading this chapter, I'm convinced, based on what George has done by setting us up to believe that Makoro knows what the fuck he's doing, I believe that Victorian has a major role to play, and he's not going to die in the Battle of Marine, and he's not going to, you know, drown on the way there like some stupid fate. I, I believe it. I absolutely believe it. I don't think, I don't think that we would have this, uh, be spending this much time on him if if he didn't. And I think he's capable enough to to be doing something. But I don't know if he's everything. If Makoro really believes he's everything that Makoro's saying he believes in him to be, <laughs> I'm just suspicious. Is all I'm saying of Makoro's intentions. Uh. What was I going to say about him? Oh, yes. My question. Makoro's nailing it every time. Yep. Melisandre's not. Yep. And they're doing all this stuff. It's working for Makoro. It's not working for Mel and, and Stannis. What's the difference? Is there one? Huh. Is Makoro just better? I don't know. Is he better at reading the flames? Maybe he's just more practiced, or better at lying. Uh, like you're, I think is what you're maybe getting at. Um, no, I'm not actually. I'm. I, I want to find out what's better about McCorl. He's. I don't dispute at all him. Me being wary of his full intention is not me disputing the how he right power. he is, and yeah. that he he is somehow tapping into something and nailing it every single time. So and... it's hard for me to even think like this because I don't, right? I gotta like th- like change my entire way of thinking as a human. But mm. like, we talked about what, like, why do gods care about? The, why do they want sacrifice? They don't. Why? That doesn't make any sense. Maybe, maybe he's actually being favored by the like. If you believe this yeah. kind of stuff, maybe he's mm-hmm. actually being favored by the god because he's doing the right things. Mm-hmm. Right, and there's always that possibility. Right. I, I mean, yeah. I don't know, man. I, 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 I really don't really want. I, I don't really want this to just be about like two competing religions or whatever. 
in this story. Mm-hmm. I don't want that to be like the backdrop and the whole message of the story. Or... And the gods playing chess with right. all these I, human I pieces really, and stuff. Yeah, yeah I, really I get you. I really don't want it. But but I, but there's something there. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it's been, again, on my first reads, I don't know whether I was just daft or having to focus on it to do this podcast. I'm so grateful we're doing it because I'm getting so much more out of it. And Absolutely. I feel like these breadcrumbs have been laid. There is something to this Rolor business. I don't know exactly what it is, but there's something to it. Yeah. And whether there's an actual god called Rolor or it's it is some, some sort of magical mystical, force yeah. that they describe it as being a god. Right. Yeah. There's something there. Yeah. What's he doing differently? I don't know. Yeah. There has to be a cost though and we're not even seeing that with Makoro yet. There doesn't it, have to be a not cost. In... No? Well, it was after dark, but I mean, I mean, just like what you talked about earlier. I mean, to compare it to Old Testament, New Testament. Old Testament, there had to be a cost. New Testament, there isn't any cost. Well. It's faith. It's belief. It's love. I mean, I, I don't get all of that out of R'hllor, maybe, but... You know, I, there isn't a blood cost. Mm. Mel thinks there is. Absolutely. But Makoro didn't didn't suggest any of these killings, did he? Or did maybe he did with the Maester? He he did with the Maester. Yeah. yeah. But I wonder if there's a if there's a a, a cost that it's taking on him on Makoro to to see what he's seeing. Yeah, you know, and the in the Melisandre chapter, you know, as she's experiencing the thing she's doing, it talks about how her shuddering and blood's trickling down her thigh and yeah. an agony and ecstasy, she calls it too. And it's like painful, but a good kind of pain, like, you know, and yeah. it is, I wonder if Makoro's suffering too in some way. Cause he's, he is banging these things out. He's like, two ships are coming. Take them. You got them. Sure enough, two ships come. Uh-huh. Is every time. I don't know. I don't. It seems like yeah. set it up that there's always a cost, and I, I wonder if there's a cost that it's taken on Makoro. It's not I, a huge deal. I, I, you, you've baited me enough. I, I wonder if that's not all wrong, and we'll get to that in some Davos After Dark stuff. But it would be interesting to me if that were all wrong. If that were all wrong, what was all the, wrong? That there's a cost. Well, there's a cost, yeah. A bl- well, a blood cost, like a, a pain, mm-hmm. physical, something, you know, some sort of cost like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll come back to it. Okay. Um, it, was, it was a little fun to be in this area of the world. We've been stuck in Marine, like in the city of Marine for so long, no, learning nothing about the area. Kind of going up the coast here. You know? Learn about Yaros, uh-huh. these fascinating old abandoned, old destroyed abandoned cities. Yeah. yeah, kind yeah. of interesting. Yeah, and you get this interesting passage where he's debating whether or not to go through the Straits again, which is, you know, the last time he made that decision, Stannis crushed him in battle. Mm-hmm. And he kind of makes the decision anyway. I don't know exactly what that represents. Some sort of confidence in himself, perhaps. You brought up last episode... Um, you know that it's the first time we get this POV switch, and like maybe he's 
a new Victarion, some sort of reborn Victarion, yeah. and maybe this is evidence of that. He's he feels th- this is a a fear that he had before, and he's able mm-hmm. to conquer that fear, being you know this kind of reborn version of Victarion. Yeah, no, confidence mixed mixed with urgency a little bit. Yeah, perhaps yeah, urgency. In fact, he admits it. Yeah, but. Yeah, he got absolutely wasted the last time he ran the straights instead of going around. Right. So, so yeah, even with urgency, I think there needs to be some confidence that this time they can do it or he wouldn't do it because that that defeat just rankles at him, I think. He's yeah. thought about it a few times. For sure. It's the one that got away. In Victorian's yeah. world, this is the version of the girl that got away. <laughs> This is victory at yeah. sea. Yeah. Oh man, Vic, we love you. Actually, he's just terrible. I don't. He's love a, him. he's a terrible man. Yeah. But. Oh, good at naming metal bands. He's not terrible. He's just simple. Like he's just uncomplicated and easily influenced and directed, and you know. Yeah. Anyway. Brutal. The the bit about sailing the Dothraki Sea is hilarious. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Where is the sea and I will sail it? Yeah. Dude's like, ha! Yeah. Uh, and I only have long. really one more thing. Uh, just we get, as I mentioned earlier when we were doing the quotes, no man had need of candles when the sun awaited him. Dang, son. It's very much the same, the same mm-hmm. thing. So I think what we're meant to learn is that when Loras disappeared to Dragonstone, he actually became Victarion. Oh, okay. And then we've got a little Benjamin Quaith thing going on here. Sure, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. You heard it here first, Kalisar. Yeah, that's the first time I heard it too, when I just said it. Loras equals Victarion. Anything else? I'm willing to stake my reputation on that theory. (laughs) What little reputation we have. <laughs> yeah, apparently. Uh, I almost said something. Won't do it. Well, not going to do it. Not nope. going to do it. All right. Should we move on to our final chapter? Let's do it. Okay. The Ugly Little Girl. Arya. Underfoot. Horse face. Sticking with the pointy end. Arya. Underfoot. Horse face. Sticking with the pointy end. A girl stands still and unmoving, a flagon of water in her hands used to fill the empty cups of the faceless men meeting deep beneath the temple of the many-faced god. Seated on chairs of weirwood and ebony, they dole out jobs, assassination jobs to be precise, according to who knows who. So remember, the... uh, First rule of the Faceless Men Club is not to talk about Faceless Men Club. But the second rule is that you can't kill someone you personally know. So they've got to dole out jobs accordingly. As the meeting concludes, one of the men stays behind to interrogate the girl. He scoffs when she claims to be no one and observes that she would kill for her own purposes and pleasure. Arya Stark can't quite deny it but nevertheless declares she is ready and demands a face. The man explains that the price is too high. It requires her to give her whole self, all you have and all you hope to have. 
She can prove her worth, however, by giving a certain man the gift. No one you love, no one you hate, no one you have ever known. Arya agrees to do this, and the man declares that she will then become Cat of the Canals again. She will wear a face, she will watch, obey, and then they will see if she is truly worthy to serve the many-faced god. And so Cat of the Canals returns to her clams and cockles, and it's as she's making her way down the Purple Harbor that she gets her first look at the man she must kill. An old man, well past 50, with ill manners, a hard, mean face, and long, bony fingers that are constantly twitching. Her observations lead to the, to the discovery that the man is something of an insurance broker. Uh, ship captains pay him, and in turn, he agrees to cover the price of their ships and goods should ill befall them. As the ship captains give him their money, the wary swindler bites each coin to ascertain its uh, bona fideness. Uh, this is worth the price to many a sailor, knowing their wives and children will be taken care of should they be lost at sea. But Arya soon understands why the faceless men have been hired to give this man the gift, as, as, uh, as the kindly man says, it is one thing to write such a binder, or give out such an insurance policy, and another to make good on it. Hmm... Days pass as Arya observes him, uh, this man she's to kill, learning his schedule, who's guarding him, his habits, and the type of men who go to see him. Finally, she announces to the kindly man that she will give this man the gift on the following day. The kindly man is pleased, but declares that because the face of Cat of the Canals is known on the streets, it is time a girl wore a new face an ugly one, one that will make others stare, point, pity, and not forget. The kindly man leads the girl down, down through the depths of the temple, eventually arriving in a room where a thousand faces stare back at her. Hanging on the wall are these faces, old, young, pale, dark, smooth, wrinkled, male, female, even children, they were skins, the actual removed faces of those who came to the temple to receive the gift. I'm ready for my close-up, Mr. DeMille, Robin Williams would recite, but facial application is not as easy or painless as it was for Mrs. Doubtfire. Instead, the kindly man makes a large cut across the top of Arya's forehead, allowing the blood to seep down across the rest of her face. It's like the glue. The new face is then applied, the blood softening and molding the face to her own. Uh, for a brief moment, Arya feels the pain of she whose face she now wears. Uh, it belonged to a poor girl who was beaten mercilessly by a cruel, drunken father. To Arya, her face feels the same, as true and solid as the face she was born with. But to anyone else, she looks completely different. One side of the face is completely caved in from a shattered cheekbone, and half her teeth are missing. Arya thinks they should have killed the father rather than the poor girl who had come to them. Anyways, the next day, Arya can't help but feel it's a good day for a death. It's the episode title. She begins following the man she's looking for. Oh, 
who turns out to not actually be her target, but instead a ship owner who she'd observed the target doing business with a few times before. She falls in behind this man as he makes his way through the crowd, then reaches out stealthily and slits at the bag of money hanging from his belt. As she fills her hand with his coins, the man notices, yelling, Thief! Arya bolts, coins falling from her fingers as she makes her escape. After she does escape, she waits nearly an hour, then makes her way back to the House of Black and White, where she presents a coin to the kindly man. How did you come by this? The kindly man asks. We are no thieves. It wasn't stealing, the ugly girl replies. I took one of his, but I left him one of ours. Ah, and the kindly old man understands. The ship owner paid the target with the coin, one of those that spilled out of the man's purse in Arya's hands, which the target bit down on as he did with all cash payments. And soon after, his heart gave out. Easy, right? You have much and more to learn, he declares. But it, but it may be you are not hopeless. Uh, that night, she is given back the face of Arya Stark. She's also given an acolyte's robe of black and white, an apprenticeship with a man named Isimbaro, and the promise of a new face to wear while she is with him. Who are you, child? The kindly man asks. No one, Arya replies. That's the end of the chapter. Good, so, uh, Sunset Boulevard reference there. Right? Yeah. A la, a la Mrs. Doubtfire. A la Mrs. Doubtfire, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I did make it, I, I laid out the uh, assassination I spelled it out a little better than the actual chapter did. George makes you kind of think through it, but I thought I'd just put it on the silver just platter for everyone. Just out there. Just give it to him. So she poisoned one of the coins. Sounds like the waif helped her with the poisoning. Right. And uh, he bit down on the coin. He died. Mission accomplished. Yeah, that's some good poison, man. I don't know. I'm, I'm Maybe I'm just uneducated. I always kind of imagined... You need a little, a little bit more poison than just like a tiny taste to do the job. You'd think, but you know, and what? it's not like it's not like he's licking the coin. Yeah, and no, swallowing like he the got spittle. a little bit on his lips. Yeah, yeah, then his teeth, eh. and it did the job. You know what? We're not questioning dragons, but we're going to question the poison. <laughs> no way that would work, man. Yeah. <laughs> She calls him Plague Face. That's a great name. <laughs> it reminded me a little bit of uh, Taser Face. Taser Face from Guardians 2. Taser Face! <laughs> Taser Face! Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Plague Face. Yeah, this was... Man, this was a strange chapter. I think it's it's creepy and fun. It is so creepy. Leather hoods, that's all they are. Oh. So they carry the corpses down here and slice their faces off. So what? NBD. No big deal. They're the faces of the stranger, but we love to try them on. It's kind of weird. Uh, feels like... So blood. Blood is the common denominator in all this magic mm -hmm. stuff, is it not? 
Yes. It's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Feels like blood magic. Blood is compulsory. Yeah. Uh, to quote, to quote uh, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Um, yeah, it seems, it seems, blood seems required for all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, or is it, as I've teased already? But um, certainly it seems to be required in this one. Yeah. And he gives us a little taste talking about how sorcerers use glamours, uh-huh. weaving light and shadow and desire to make illusions that trick the eye. Uh-huh. These arts you shall learn. And mummers use makeup, I think he says yeah. too. Yep. Uh-huh. <clears throat> yeah, and uh, I'm like, why learn it if I can do this thing? Right. <laughs> this thing yeah. seems way better. But, yeah, but again, get... there's a cost to this too. You know, having to experience the pain and everything of the person whose face you're wearing. So was your impression from the text then that, like, he's cutting, like, around the edge of her face? And, like, that's, like, where the the blood, like, there on the edges, like, seals it in? Like, makes it, grabs it? He's not, like, actually cutting her face, like, off and replacing it with that face. Mm. Right? No, I didn't get it either. It, it said he made a cut across her forehead. Now uh-huh. he could have continued a, a down around the face. Okay, it's just her forehead then. But I got, yeah, it says he cut across her forehead, so I got it like almost like if you were holding a bag of liquid over someone's head and you blew up the bag and the liquid just ran down their face and yeah. covered the whole thing, you know? I see. Yeah. What he's doing with the blood. So the starting at the top so that the blood runs down her whole face and kind of soaks it. I see. Yeah. Putting them on like a hood. It's creepy. Yeah. 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 Now, I got a question, and it'll just be speculation because we don't have an answer anywhere. They talk about how, like, there's even children's face and infant faces, too. Yeah. No, that's dark. Do you have, like, faceless babies? Yeah. I mean, that's the implication. I don't know what you would use that face for because if you put on if the you... face of a baby... I don't know what you can do. Right. Uh, so so when you put on the face, do you assume the rest of the body of the person? Or does your body kind of remain the same and you just have the new face? Do you know what I mean? Like if they put on a baby face, would they change into like an infant body? I don't but know. But still feel like they were themselves? I don't know. It's weird. My question. So so – the fact that the infant thing is brought up at all makes me second-guess my answer. But I'm going to mm. say this. There's enough focus within the faceless men about not going after someone you know mm-hmm. that I don't think it matters if you get the entire physique of the person. Okay. You're not trying to fool people that know them. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not amulet. Mm-hmm. You're, trying to, uh, you're, you're trying to just not be yourself. Sure. So I don't think I don't think I don't think it's required that your body changes too. Nobody's mm-hmm. gonna, you know, outside of scars or tattoos or something like no one's gonna recognize your body necessarily. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I don't think so. But it but it does yeah. make the infant thing useless. I don't know what anyone would do with that. Right. Maybe they're it's just like face they're, hoarders. They're just keeping it there to be creepy. <sighs> yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Did the show did the show do this? I I I hope they didn't miss this opportunity because that would have been an epic shot. With with faces hanging all across the wall like as far yeah. as the camera can see. They do go into that. Yeah. Good. But I can't remember I can't remember how the whole scene goes down. Again, I've only seen all the episodes once. No, I don't care. I just want I just yeah. want to know that they got the visual cuz that would be a cool visual. They do. Yeah, so, they do. That's good. Yep. Yeah. Uh putting on the face comes with memories. That's interesting. Uh-huh. Kinda yeah, like, that's kinda the like cost. stealing the power. Uh-huh. Yeah. When Rogue steals power, she gets she gets the memories, or at least some memories along with it. I had forgotten that. Oh yeah, it's the real tragic part of Rogue's power set. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean yeah, other than I... the fact that she can't touch people she loves, which is tragic too. Yeah, that's what always comes back to. Again, going back to the Vic chapters, there's got to be a cost to having these great powers, and yeah, that's the cost for this one. Well, Besides, the cost for this one is giving up everything you are. Yeah, I was gonna say you will be no one's wife, no one's mother, no one's daughter. Right. Reminiscent of the Night's Watch vows to me. Right. Um, yeah, that's a tremendous cost, of course. Yeah. Um. Hmm. I still don't think Arya. I know Arya is not buying into this whole thing. No, she's but a she's getting mother. there. She's getting there a little bit, or she's at least learning how to play the game. I think that that she needs to play. She's not right. Yeah, she's not going anywhere, y'all. She she has the eyes of a wolf and a taste for blood. It says she says with her right down right before she gets her face. She's like, you should have killed him. Like, she's not uh, buying into any of this. She's just good at playing the game. She's not even that good at playing the game. I don't get what she's they're... She's getting better, though. She's getting better, but they know. All of them know. They're like, uh-huh. you want to do this for yourself. They tell it and... right to her face, and they're still letting her keep going. I don't understand. I'm so excited to learn why. <laughs> You're not gonna. I might not. Spoilers, that's the last Aria chapter. Well, I meant in the next books, but... Oh, you might. But might not even get it then. But I, Yeah. No, when he says... totally got her own thing going on. When he says the eyes of a wolf, I think we've talked about this before, uh-huh. is that more in Dick, he knows she's Arya Stark, does he know that she also has these powers? Um, eyes of a wolf, meaning skin changing into Nymeria. You know, it might be. I just, and, I just took and, it for the and, fact that he knew she was a Stark, right? But, but does that not is that knowledge of her special abilities? What is what is keeping them with her? Is what's keeping there some sort of faith in her in using her? Right. You've made that argument before, and it's a good one. It you know, it's it's that they see that she's not coming along for the ride. They're willing to let it play out because they see such a special candidate that they're like maybe okay with it, mm-hmm. right? They even in yeah. this one in this uh, in this chapter didn't they even mention the cat? Oh no no yep. they were talking about cat of the canals. That's right. Maybe they're a little unambiguous about it. Yeah, they cap it capitalizes cat as in yeah. a name. This is from Arya's it's, point of view. It says and something we've like you've been a cat running Snow around stuff. the town or something, right? Yeah, or something. Yep. Like that. Yeah. Yeah, and that kind of goes back to that John the Snow chapter. I see only snow, yeah. capitalized, not capitalized, and 
that seems like a tiny little thing to capitalize or not capitalize something. But I think it's actually a very intricate part of the POV we're getting. She hears cat of the canals. What do, what does plague face mean? You've been a cat of the canals. Yeah. Right. Yep. 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 Could be interesting. Um, the, uh, she does just a little tiny thing though about how Arya still has trouble sleeping, seeing the faces of the dead, particularly those that she's killed. Uh -huh. Um, I think that shows that, you know, some people have just written off Arya as kind of a, a psychopath and stuff. Murder hobby. And yeah, and it shows. I think this shows that there's still a shred of humanity here, still something that that's bugging her about all this. And she's covering that up awfully well, and she's callousing it over. But sometimes, even in dreams, maybe only in dreams, in sleep, uh, you know, when we're often our most vulnerable, this comes back to her. A little bit of humanity. I feel like uh, I feel like she has a ton of humanity left. I, mm. I, I mean, I don't know. I keep trying to remember how old she is, and like, I think she's just confused. She's done a lot of shitty things to survive. I think, though, that she knows they're shitty. Like you said, the dreams remind her of that. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the key to, you know, to her maintaining her sanity. Is, is still maintaining yes. that sense of right and wrong, even though she's been doing a lot of wrong things. Uh-huh. You know, I, I think she is... I, I'm more convinced than ever after this chapter that Arya is Arya. She's doing what she thinks she needs to to survive and yes. become the person she needs to be to do the things that she thinks she needs to do for her revenge, I guess, which is a, a, a childish thing to be seeking. But but for the love she bears her family, I'm an Arya fanboy. Like, I'll fully admit it. But I, in the past, I've been really concerned about her journey and where she's headed. But again, I think I've said it for every single chapter in this reread. On this reread, I am more convinced than ever that Arya is quote-unquote fine. Mm -hmm. She's doing some shitty things, and she has some bad bad stuff in her heart. Yeah. Kind of like what we've said that we worry about with Bran. But she's still Arya. She's still a good kid. She just needs a little direction and some time to snap out of it and to be in a position where she can be safe enough where she can make better choices. I think you nailed it on the head. Job, Thanks. buddy. She's it's it's yeah, what I don't like is people painting her with broad brushes either in either direction. She's just a kid, man. She's just a kid. You got to right. you got to cut her some slack. Um or else she's a psychopathic killer who feels no remorse for anything and is just a demon child. No. Give her some credit, man. Like she's there is a lot of complexity going on. And you mentioned there's some dark things going on in her heart. There are, frankly. She's not an innocent child. She takes pleasure from killing some of the people that she's killed. Um She has a but, list. I mean she's not yeah. yeah, she's not all there. But she uh -huh. I think she knows that she's but, not all there. Yes. Yeah. There's an awareness that's also going on too, and I, I, I like what you said about feeling safe enough to make the right choices. Yeah. You know, it would be interesting to see what it 
what kind of choices she would make in a safe environment where her life wasn't constantly in danger. Yeah. If she were a true murderous, just psycho, she would continue killing because she likes the feeling of killing. I have a feeling she wouldn't do that, though. I'm with you. Yeah. I mean, she's clearly... The, the, the thing she says indicates she's not against killing. Yeah. You should have killed him. Like, And, and she says the yep. same thing about, you know, you oh, killed, she's you a huge killed the slave. Killing. You killed the slave. You yep. should have killed the masters. Like, she's not above revenge. And yep. I think that's a childish notion, and she'll get over that. But maybe, but she's still her inside. I, she's doing what she needs to survive. It's not okay, but I think she recognizes that it's not okay, mm-hmm. as indicated, mm-hmm. like you said, by the dreams. Yeah. But we'll see. We will see. Again, might yeah. be a lot of crow to eat here. We'll see. Hey, I got a uh, I got a trivia question for you. Uh-oh. Or do sorry, did you not want to move on? No trivia. Go. This is not the first chapter. The uh. Sorry, the faceless man, or sorry, the uh, kindly man indicates that it's time, at the end of the chapter, indicates that it's time for Arya to put on another face, a pretty one, uh-huh. uh, not unlike her own. Yeah. Uh, it is not the first time Arya has been called pretty. Can you tell me who the other person in the series is that called her pretty? <sighs> was it, uh, was it the little Frey boy? It was in not. Hall? It was not. Uh, what was that? The one she name? would have been betrothed to. Uh, yeah, it is not him. Okay. I can't remember his name. Was it Olivar? No. No, that was the one. That was was Rob Squire. Squire. I don't remember his Whatever name. his name was. No, it's not that Frey. It's Lady Smallwood. Oh, okay. Gives her the, the she dress. Stays with for a bit. Yeah. Yeah, Lady okay. Smallwood. I had to uh, search of ice and fire dot com that one, but. Uh, hmm. Yeah. Cool. What else you got? Um, not much. I want to just I want to revisit one more thing. He again tells her that it's not for her to judge who the gift goes to. <laughs> but it is okay for anyone that is willing to pay to judge. I know we discussed this before, but I feel I feel like Josh Baskin in Big. I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. I I don't get it. <laughs> the many face God are the people that will pay. All right, I'll move on. We don't have to rehash that's, it again. Yeah, it's it's convoluted, and it's silly, and it's weird. But yeah, they're they're making this big fuss out of the many face God. The many face God are the people that pay them to assassinate. That's what I'm getting from this. Yeah. Silly. I hate it. Yeah. And I love it. It's super fascinating. Yeah. Like, I just want to go explore that, the House of Black and White. Talked about all the tunnels and everything. Oh, yeah. It sounds... Just go have a look around. Yeah. Yeah. Super interesting. What else is under there? What other, what other magics are they not showing her? Right? Mm Mm-hmm. You know... It shows that she's only scratching the surface mm-hmm. of, yep. of them and there. Is there something that says there's a place that went deeper still or something? Yep. Okay. Yep. Okay. Ready to move on? I believe so, which is uh, coming to the end of this, the regular portion of our podcast, right? Yeah. 
So um, before we move on to Davos After Dark, every other episode, we just like to give a shout out to some of our Patreon supporters, and we wanted to take a moment to do that. So let's do that real quick and then go to Davos After Dark. We love you all so much. Good plan. Okay. You want me to start again? Let's do it. You do so well. <laughs> the first on our dirty cab driver level, Josh C., Warden of the Reach, around, Lord of Littering and, Littering and, Littering and, Smoking the Others. Jacob M. Lady Fatass Red. GFH. Archmaster June, Healer of the Lesser Poxes. Yep, Jeremy L. Jamie K. Donnerous. Sarah from Texas. Calling you, question. Sarah's. Calling you. Sir Stormthia Snow, the Bastard Storm. We got Austin C. Heather H. Blood Reiner. And Sir Steverin, the Blue Raven of the and the Blue Raven of the Lightning Peck, whose words are the way must be tried. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and then <laughs> one of our newest patrons, Alexander G. At our reach around level, we have B Word, the Queen Beyond the Wall. And at the Team John level, Misa. Queen of Gifts and Beauty, congrats on completing another semester. Indeed. Indeed. Very proud. She's she's like a 4.0 student. I know. She's she's beyond any of us. Why, like, why is she listening to us? Holding just, down a part-time job. Just, Misa, I don't even send, think it's part-time. Send us, send us like a word of the day every day so that we can like, you know, improve our vocabulary or something. <laughs> Smart cookie. It's like, we're proud of all you guys. We love uh, seeing you succeed and follow in your lives and everything so keep it up and thank you so much for the support absolutely all right scad should we jump into uh the diminishing segment that is davos after dark <laughs> diminishing but i sense a long one tonight oh my goodness okay i'm gonna put on my big boy pants here i know because we've been going for a while already <laughs> yeah uh let's see so we are now moving into the spoiler-filled portion of the podcast that we call Davos After Dark. So if you don't want to be spoiled for future books, including, we'll just throw it out there now, the Winds of Winter sample chapters, yeah. uh, you may want to get offline right now. Go do something else. Run um, away, run away. Run away, but we've still got... A couple more episodes of, uh, of of working our way through Feast Dance. So join us for the next one, and we can't wait for it. So with that, Davos After Dark begins now. Davos After Dark. Yes, sir. So, uh, oh gosh. Do you want to start with the question, or do you want to work through Yeah, that? let's do that. So... Stormtheus, we didn't forget about you, bud. We do have your question here. But with it being... Well, here's the question, everybody. The question is, are there any headcanon and or tinfoil theories that you haven't shared yet on the cast? I hope you guys see why we maybe wanted to save that for this portion of the podcast yep. as we may get into spoilers. Um, which, Scat, I know you had some that you mentioned to me that whether it's tinfoil or not, it's fun. So they're fun. They're, I think they're fun, but they're 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 so not not yet fleshed out. They're 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 it's germination, right? Like they're very early level. First, th this one's pretty well debunked, and I have actually brought it up just kind of briefly, but not fully fleshed out. It's just my cat Peter thing. 
I, the the hints that George gives in the text about something really being there between Cat and Peter in their youth, um, this is not well-founded. I don't think I know anyone in the fandom that agrees with me, but it feels like he's trying to give us something. So I'm, I'm hanging on to it. I feel like we've debunked it. Radio Westeros did a whole episode on on uh, on Littlefinger and pretty well should have convinced me if I weren't stubborn and obstinate, but I'm hanging on to it. Um, again, another one barely brought up in the cast, but I think the half-maester, Halden, is somebody. Uh, merging that with another kind of theory I have, maybe a high tower, but the more general thing with the high towers is there's something amiss with the high towers. They're swept mm-hmm. under the rug way too much for how much power and how many are actually out there. There's, It's a big family, you guys. If you go look at their their uh, family tree, and they're basically like the second or third richest family in Westeros. Yep. And they do nothing. Mm-hmm. They do nothing in this series. And I know some stuff is coming. I know stuff is coming. They they do some stuff in you know the Sam chapter coming up, and it's a yep. tease for some things to come, I think, where they will be heavily involved. But there is something going on with the high towers, and I don't know exactly what, or I haven't put enough thought into it to to relate it here beyond really, really vague things. And my new unexplored theory uh, that I just came up with now uh, this week is regarding the gods, and mm-hmm. and the fact that perhaps the old gods are in fact the great other. Mm-hmm. I have nothing to support it, really. <laughs> I, um, I mean, like, very circum... I have a few things, very circumstantial stuff, and we'll go through it in a little bit more detail when we get there here in Davos After Dark. Let's just get to it. Well, do you Let's have do any? It. Do you have any that you want to mention before we do? That's the thing, is I feel like every little dumb theory I've ever had, culminating, of course, in Team John and Mance Rhaegar, uh, I've talked about. Yeah. Um, the one that comes immediately to mind, which is a commonly held theory in the fandom. This is nothing new. I don't know who he is, who his original identity is, but I think the man who was one, who at least for a time was Sirio Pharrell, is still around and is still following around Arya somehow. Is still has some sort of in. He's somehow still invested in Arya. Perhaps Plagueface. That's, in fact, last night I went and read Plague Face's stuff, and then I went and read all the Serio stuff to see if I could find similarities in the way they talk and stuff. Mm-hmm. But of course, a faceless man, a talented yeah. one, would He'd not. That. Yeah, yeah he, he wouldn't. He wouldn't, you know, be that easy to suss out. Right. But uh, I do think there's one of these guys. I don't know if he was originally Sirio Pharrell or if Sirio Pharrell was just an identity he took on. But uh, Jacques and Hagar, he's there too. There's someone who's kind of invested in Arya a little bit. So why, I don't know. And I don't really care to study about it that much. I'll just wait to see what happens. But <laughs> yeah. I'm getting to that point, Scad, where I'm just like, you know what? Don't just care. Out. I just want to see. I'll just read it. I'll just let it wash over me. Yeah, That's you know, cool. we've talked about that. I think Beefish a while ago uh, wrote something like that. I think, and then immediate, and then immediately wrote, ended up writing like a big essay <laughs> or something like a few yeah. days later. But he's sure. like, the the fandom is tired. We've had too many arguments. You know, there's certainly other you know reread content coming out that's fine. 
But, like, we just need new content. Or uh, I'm very much paraphrasing what he wrote. Sorry, Beefish, mm-hmm. but I didn't do it on her. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's true. It, like, you know, maybe it's just us getting to the end of these books and the fatigue setting in from that perspective. But, like, I just want new material. I want it so yep. bad. And just, I, I'm yeah. tired of guessing. Just, it just, mm-hmm. just give me... Just, just give me that good death, you know. Like, I'll take yep. it. Mm-hmm. I'd pay you. I'd pay you ten ninety nine a month if you just give me one chapter a month. Oh, wouldn't that be so awesome? Just uh, one chapter a month. I'd be so down for that if he wanted to do it that yep. way. Yep, I'd be uh, so I, down. It's sad that I that I'd accept that, but I would. Well, it's kind of the way things are going with media yeah. and such. Yeah. You get uh, artists, music artists that have said that they're not going to record whole albums anymore yeah. because it's just not worth it. Yeah. You spend all this money in the studio to sell the songs one by one. No, when you get a new song, record it and release that song. Yeah. People will buy it or stream it or whatever. I'm de- you don't need I'm to old. create a whole album anymore. I'm old, but that's depressing. It is. I... I am a huge proponent of the album. Yeah. I love having a full album of songs that were purposefully written to exist together. Or or even then... or or even if not so divinely like, you know, meant to coexist, at least mm-hmm. reflect a period of time in the artist's life that might subconsciously totally. yeah. ring true to That's some what I mean. sort of yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, whether there's a narrative thread between all the songs or just you know where it's at in that person's life, like you're saying, or that artist's life. That's I, I find value in that, yeah, and great context and understanding the songs that way. But yeah, it's moving away from that. Yeah, wow, yeah. we're in we're in Davos after dark, everyone. And we're talking about why artists and music. Three hours in. <laughs> but let's go back. Let's like, get to that uh, theory. Let's go back to your old gods equals great other thing and talk that one through. You guys are going to be so disappointed. So where did this come from? So I've seen zero power in any of these gods except for R'hllor and the old gods. I don't see anything in the seven that indicates there's any power of any kind other than rich, rich people getting richer and subjugating the poor. Um taking advantage i see nothing uh, i see nothing out of the drowned god except suffering and pain and be okay with your terrible existences because Mm -hmm. that's how life is i don't see anything of any power except in relore and the old gods and we've seen very much evidence of power from both of those we know the old gods have you know the weirwood trees which people can see through if they have certain power there's certainly some blood sacrifice wrapped up in that. The children of the forest certainly have some mystical abilities and are tied to the old gods. We know that... we. In fact, we, are the children of the forest the old gods? Well, perhaps, getting there. So, yeah. okay. um, yeah. well, not exactly getting there, but potentially, maybe. Um, you know, I don't have any evidence, but uh, thematically, yeah. Uh, and R'hllor, we, we just talked about Makoro and the power he has and Melisander's waxing and waning power and even Thoros who doesn't know what the fuck he's doing who seems to have power um, there are clear showings from both of these gods that there's there's some sort of additional juice there and if mm-hmm. Makoro is right 
and there really is just R'hllor and the Great Other, then, you know, the power of the power of math tells me that the old <laughs> gods are the Great Other, and you know, there's not a lot there to prove it. Um, you know, I I personally get a creepy feeling with the children, um, mm-hmm. children of the forest. That is, the old gods are a northern thing mostly now especially since the others were driven behind the wall. You know, the northerners practice it, but nobody in the south. Uh, the red god doesn't seem to be a northern thing. It wants, you know, the heat and the, the life yeah. in the southern area. Um, mm-hmm. It's it has no purchase up north. Yep. Narratively, it, I, I think some people would attack this narratively, but narratively I think it's kind of interesting. Um, the heroes, the Starks, the kind of supposed heroes of this story, not that they're evil, I wouldn't go that far. That would not be interesting. That would just be turning something on its head for effect or something. But if mm-hmm. if they've just kind of been like been misled all along, yeah, that they're good people on the wrong path. Yeah, that foundation that they're built on religiously, anyways, right, is is corrupt and they don't know it, and it's been built for so long that they've that people have forgotten or you know things like that. I think it's I think it could be narratively interesting. Um, yeah, I do too. This this isn't evidence of, at all it's it's lack of evidence but we've not heard um makoro's take on the old gods i don't think we've heard it from melisander either really um they, they never address the old gods either um saying they have no power or you know saying what they are or aren't um mm-hmm. that's that's a that's a, that's a negative argument right that doesn't really count for anything it's just we haven't seen it so we don't know but you know, I, I lead this to, th- this all kind of came together for me in, in again, believing in that Victarion has some worth somewhere, that what if great things really are in store for Vic? That Vic is a champion of the Red God versus the Great Other, represented by Euron, and that there's going to be some massive battle between them, and that despite what everyone is suggesting... That Vic actually takes him down, does his stuff, and that's a long way to go from from what we've been presented here in this chapter. But it got my brain going, and I'm interested. I could see it. It would be it would be an interesting literary misdirection from the very opening chapters, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to to place this and ent- this element of antagonism against a god that we are kind of brought in to hate like the red god is introduced by melisander in an in a chapter where she kills a helpless old man and so you're kind of set up to not like like the red god and we are kind of set up yeah. to like the gods of the north and so it's kind of a bit of a a switch on that i don't know i i'm i'm interested in it i think it'd be kind of cool so that's it that's the theory i think it'd be cool too and then you you know, you kind of see the two main protagonists of the story is Danny and John. Yeah, absolutely. And what sides do they land on? And, you know, and, it's it's really interesting to think about. And from that respect, I hate it because I don't think I don't think we would spend all this time with John and then have him be some villain. Although certainly there some have been bad theories. Guy. Well, there have certainly been theories that John will become the Night King, right? Mm-hmm. The Night mm-hmm. King, or is it the Knights? It's the Night King, right? Knights King. Well, yeah, 
what I would like, what what's satisfying to me as frustrating as it is, is not having a good side and a bad side. Yeah. You know? It's why I liked Captain America Civil War so much. Mm. Because I saw value in both arguments. Iron Man side and Cap side. Right? And I didn't quite know which side I... I couldn't throw 100% of my support to either one of their sides. And that was frustrating to me, but it was also narratively very compelling. Um, and I like that kind of stuff. And check out Films Get Fingered, back from Civil War. You can check that out. Brooke family yeah, we did all over the place. She um, really did. That was when I didn't like it. Oh, really? You've come <laughs> to like it? Yeah, I gave it a poor review. I don't remember. And uh, I don't remember my own reviews. But... Then I ate crow on it later when I watched it again. Oh yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I I've long I've long fought the good versus evil component of this, but but part of but part of this reread is just it really has my brain going that way, and I'm not mm-hmm. sure that I like it, but I can see it. And I don't know. I, well, we've been you, conditioned. I hope it doesn't go to, that way. But we've been conditioned to to expect those types of stories our whole lives, and even before we were alive, that's how stories were told. Right. And George maintains and a lot of tropes in this story, but he also breaks some. Um, he really does. Yeah. So, breaker of chains. Breaker of tropes. So yeah. I don't know. I, I'm not tied to this. It's not something I'm. I'm not, it's not the hill I'm going to die on or anything. But I think it's interesting, and it's it's something I might look a little bit deeper into. Yeah, I've uh, I pulled some quotes that support this. Just now, you mentioned <laughs> not just now. No, <laughs> you knew where I was going. <laughs> well, you you uh, you gave me some indication that you were going to talk about the old gods being the great other. So oh, that's right. I that did was put some thought into it for you. It? Yeah, I forgot. Yeah. So um, you mentioned you get a, a creepy feeling from the children of the forest and all that. Blood Raven to Bran. Never fear the darkness, Bran. The strongest trees are rooted in the dark places of the earth. Uh-huh. Darkness will be your cloak, your shield, your mother's milk. Darkness will make you strong. You know, that's always been creepy to me. But when I read it this time, I just felt like Emperor Palpatine, uh-huh. you know? Um Getting Bran to embrace the evil is some uh, maybe not evil, but the darkness, which of course is opposite of light, relore, mm-hmm. all of that. I think that that adds to it. Um, Melisandre's vision of the same, the wooden man she had glimpsed, and the boy with the wolf's face, meaning Blood Raven and Bran. They were his servants, surely his champions. Yep, him being the great other. We know Alessandra doesn't always get things right. She's wrong but, a lot. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But it's there. It's there. Right? Just little things like that that make you go, ooh, this doesn't feel completely right. Yeah. So. But then the Relore stuff doesn't feel completely right either. No, it doesn't. I hate. Not at I, all. I hate calling them like the good guys. Um, yeah. You know, and I, I hate Which is that why there are like... good and bad guys, but. Yeah. It also feels wrong to like think that Bran and John are on the wrong side, but again, that's part of what makes it narratively interesting. 
Yeah, so. exactly. It is not necessarily having a right and a yep. wrong side. Right. It's just choices that people make. And yeah. People make bad choices on either side, and people make good choices. Another side. What's the? Uh, that's in the. That's in the crawl of one of the Star Wars movies. There are heroes on both sides, something like that. It's in one of the prequels. Yeah. It comes off cheesy when it's done that way, but. Yeah, the one for the one for uh, uh, Revenge of the Sith is bad too. How it starts. Open war. War or something is it just war? Yeah. yeah. War exclamation yeah. point. It's awful. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Give us a break here. You're better than that, Lucas. Barely, but you're better. <laughs> oh, man. Um, okay, let's do some Tattered Prince. Yeah. Because we've been holding off on talking too much about him. And I still don't know that we have a whole lot to talk about. I have almost nothing. I tried. But, but... Uh, who is he? So he wants Pentos, right? Yeah. That's the price that he gives uh, to Baristan, too later on mm-hmm. Zidi wants Pentos and, and Barristan uh, agrees mm-hmm. somebody's going to give him Pentos somebody's going to win the lottery and they're going to be like oh yeah fuck I owe Pentos to the Tattered Prince I promised him that one time right <laughs> he's going to call in some favors um, so we do know that in his early 20s, mm-hmm. the Tattered Prince was in line to become the prince of, or become the leader of Pentos. In 263, and he turned it down and I think off. it was, right? <clears throat> he turned around and ran off. Yeah, because we find out he's in his 60s now. Mm-hmm. Um, he turned it down, mostly because Pentos seemed, uh, presumably because Pentos seem to have this tendency to kill their leaders if they didn't like them. Yeah. Um, so maybe that's when he ran off and, you know, joined this, just joined this sellsword company. That's what we know, right? Uh-huh. There's a few things we can assume, perhaps. Um, he does seem to be somewhat familiar with Westerosi customs. Yeah. He particularly. Talks the, he talks about the wedding, right? Mm-hmm. About the the betting, particularly, yeah. I enjoy the betting component, or something. Yeah. Now that could just be that he's rubbed shoulders with Westerosi in his sellsword company. It could be. It feels a little familiar for me, but maybe. Mm-hmm. What if this is completely just shooting out there in the dark, and I don't know that it leads to anywhere, but his age matches up with someone who could have been in the War of the Nine Penny Kings. He's about yeah. Barristan's age. Yep. Can't help but wonder if there's something there. But I'm sure people have much deeper theories, but I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, good. I guess I'm less worried about where he came from and more about what's what's happening with him. Where is this going? You know? Yeah. I, I, I read a Reddit thread that was super detailed and, and a little... A little tinfoily that it left me behind to be honest i i admit to some fatigue and reading through it and trying to follow along and failing and giving up um hmm. but it was essentially saying yeah you guessed it it's a secret he's a secret blackfire targaryen descended <laughs> from i think it was rowan Weber or something 
Uh, I can't remember exactly all the details. You can, I'm sure you can find it on Reddit. Maybe I'll find it and post a link. But um, basically the idea is, like, there are so many... The, the male Blackfire line is snuffed out. But there were females around. Mm-hmm. Who knows who's really, you know, had children from, from that arrangement. I'm sure we can probably track it down if we really tried. And I almost did go look at the Targaryen family tree. But I was like, that thing is huge i'm not i'm not gonna spend the time right now to do it i was it was just too late but i feel like i feel like there's probably ample number of people he could be if george decides to make him someone Mm -hmm. the timing is interesting i tried to fit it in at first i was like okay maybe he left maybe he left around when Varys left to come to the city or around when Aegon was born and this plot was being hatched and he felt passed over or something. But none of the timeline fits for any of that. Um, he's He's gone from, from Pentos long before any of those things happen. Um, so I, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't fit, I couldn't find a narrative thing that really fit mm-hmm. with the timeline. So eventually I gave up. But, you know, I guess the idea is maybe he's, maybe he's a, a Blackfire supporter or blackfire himself um you know that's a kind of a loose end dangling out there but i don't know yeah yeah maybe maybe um if if he does somehow get pentos Mm -hmm. let's say danny comes back meets up with barristan he's like hey i promised uh so while you were gone, yeah. some things happened. Yeah. Uh, promised this guy Pentos. My first thought was Danny's not going to be pleased with it because she, you know, has some affection for Illyrio. Yeah. But then as I thought about it more, what if she figures out about Aegon? And that feels betrayed. Illyrio has had Aegon in his back pocket all these years. Yeah, and feels a little betrayed. See, it largely depends on who Aegon actually turns out to be. <laughs> sure. Right? I mean, if, if Aegon literally is her uh, nephew, she probably feels differently than if he's a Blackfire usurper. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> so, like... But either way, she might feel slighted. Yeah, she might. Yeah, it's true. You can tell me about this guy? Yeah. One slight feels bigger than the other, but yes. She might sure. feel that way. Absolutely. Yeah. So in that sense, at first I was like, she's not going to give him Pentos because that could mean bad things for Illyrio, you know. But now I'm like, if if she's if she's offended by this Aegon stuff. Yeah. Maybe. 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 And, you know, we already talked about this a little bit in the, in the summary, but. What's what's the Tatter Prince going to do when he gets there? I mean, if past if past results can predict future behavior, he's going to walk out mm-hmm. and be like, "I don't want it." <laughs> After getting it right, I mean, it was offered to him already. I guess maybe what he really wants is control over it, like like a king, or like does he want to change the government? I don't know. It's weird. It's a... Right. It's a weird request. I, I can't. I can't get my brain around the request to begin with. Mm-hmm. You want a yeah. city that isn't ruled by a monarch? That is ruled by, like, what do you mean? It, it's a weird. It's a weird request. 
That's yeah, it's it's like, did he not want it because it was just being handed it to him? Handed to him. He wanted, he wanted it, it. He wants. Yeah, he wants well. it to be like his on his terms, not just because like you're next in line, but because I got it. Yeah, it, could be. it feels like he was slighted somehow, and that you know we don't we haven't figured out how. Hold on to something. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's about as much time as I want to spend on the tattered prince. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Let's jump up to the north in Westeros and talk a bit about Stannis. Okay. Um, we've held out on this conversation a little bit as well, hoping to get, I think, to this chapter. Where do you think this is all going? Upcoming battle. Well, um, I, did, I did a little look in the numbers. Do you want the numbers? I, I think uh, I think I don't know whether it's Joe or or what it is, but I feel like I feel like people think Stannis is going to lose this, and I don't believe that for a second. Um, I feel like Stannis is going to win this going away, and there are some reasons. Um, maybe maybe the maybe the question you're really asking is what what do you think is happening after that, which is a valid question. Um. You know, from a numbers perspective, he has about fifty five hundred men with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, four hundred and five thousand plus. Four, yeah. And and I got this information. I feel like I was shared a, a a spreadsheet that had like the numbers for each group some sometime by maybe it was B Fish, maybe somebody else, but I couldn't find it. So I actually just Googled it and Im Imger Imger, whatever that site is, had a a good <laughs> breakdown, and I just copied it. So Google it. You can find these numbers on imgr.something.com. Stannis has about 5,500 men with him at the Crofters Village. 450 of those are Karstarks that they mention are of doubtful loyalty. I think they will be of certain loyalty by the time the battle actually arrives. There might be a few less than 450, but they're going to be more certain. Yeah, they in the wind sample chapter... Richard Horp goes out and neutralizes all of Karstark's men as Stannis is confronting Arnulf. And he said they had to kill a few, but most of them laid down their arms peacefully. And I'd imagine that if given the chance, they'd fight. Well, good. So So I didn't dream that. Okay, that's good to know. I forgot that chapter. So um, I also had had it in my brain somehow that Alice might show up with her 200 Mm. thens. And also mm-hmm. provide some convincing, like, look, no, I'm going to be the one in charge, and you're doing this. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, no evidence for that. But it's a possibility. Um, uh, they they are they are Chekhov's thens. Yep. Yeah, Chekhov's thens. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, from, for Roos's part, so 5,500 for Stannis, 5,900 for Roos, so a little bit more... Uh, at Winterfell, plus another twenty nine hundred that he sent off to attack Stannis. So Stannis actually has an advantage. Yeah, I was gonna say he's he started out with seven something, but yeah, he sent all the Manderleys and Freys out. Right. So so Stannis right. actually has an advantage in the coming battle as they approach him, if they make it. Um, and frankly, three hundred of them are Manderleys that they're going to defect. If they don't, I will eat my mm-hmm. hat and I will write a personal apology to Nina. And everything like these Mandalis are going to defect and join Stannis. Um, so like I, I, I feel like there's a lot of stuff he's got. He knows the location where he is. If they come to him, like he's going to win this first battle. How they're going to take Winterfell? You have been over th- over that with your theory about how they get through the walls and things like that. Um, 
I believe they're going to win. I think they're going to win. So imminent, I believe they are too. Imminently, I think that's what's going to happen. Are you looking yeah. for an answer beyond that? Because I wrote something down for that too. Sure. Yeah. So a lot of people think that he's going to sacrifice Shireen um, to get God powers for this whole King's Blood thing for fighting the others or something. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm an optimist, but I just I don't see it. I I think he's learned from Davos what that means. And I don't think he's going to yep. do it. He's a man of principle, and we've seen him. You'd hope we've, so. Huh? You'd hope so. I hope so. We've seen him bend some to, to Mel, and it seems like he's grinding his teeth through it every time he does. And I think by the end, he's going to learn not to. And how does fit, this fit the narrative for Stannis? Well, it doesn't really fit his narrative as well as it does, for me, fits the arc for Mel. All this time she's been preaching about the power of King's Blood. It's kind of going back to the conversation we were having earlier. Stannis will refuse, go off and die doing something heroic, right? Fighting the others and not actually being the chosen one and losing. She'll say, oh, if only he had made the sacrifice, something, something, something. She'll actually try to do this herself. John or Danny or somebody's going to stop her. And they're going to beat the others without the sacrifice. They'll probably have to make some sacrifice, like you said. But not an innocent child. And Mel has to realize that she was dead wrong about so much of what she assumed. And and mm-hmm. that's my uh, so from the Stannis perspective, I think he's going to die. I've said this for a long time. I think he's going to die doing something heroic that helps save the kingdom. I don't know what that will be, but that's what I think is going to happen. Look at you, Sunny Day Real Estate. I don't know what that reference is, but I like being called Sunny, so I'll take it. <laughs> Sunny Day Real Estate was a band. I was just thinking of optimistic titles, and that came to me. So it means nothing. <laughs> Other it's than funny that, that I'm predicting his grizzly well, Danny. Well, not really. I'm predicting his grizzly death, and you're calling it a sunny outlook. <laughs> yep. Because I think he's going to be the Night King. Oh, really? Uh, maybe. Interesting. I don't know. I don't know this theory. Is um, this a theory out there? Or is this, your, is this I think Matt's it is. own? No, I think it's out there, but I haven't really looked at it that closely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, the um, the holes in the ice at yeah. the Crofter's Village. For sure. That seems like a pretty obvious hint. Check off again. Yeah. They're going to lead him out onto the, uh, onto the ice. There's there's talk out there on the interwebs that I saw today of it kind of made a cool reach around back to Stannis's victory of Fair Isle. We talked about it from Victorian's end, and mm-hmm. Victorian suffered that defeat at the hands of Stannis, um, and him using Stannis using kind of the same tactic here. Maybe the the beacon light, the beacon fire at the top of his tower. Using that to to draw people draw the enemy into the straits, which would be that area between the two lakes where they can crush them kind of there. That's one way to look at it. Or to draw them out onto the ice itself mm-hmm. and see ya. Mm-hmm. But um I think Stannis is gonna win too. Yeah. At least get Winterfell. But, um, 
We done with Stannis? Sure. Okay. You think Bran's somehow seeing uh, seeing this conversation of what's happening with the faceless men through the weirwood chairs? I don't know. It it feels like a tease somehow, but I kind of don't think so. Anytime I see weirwood, it's like the Barristan thing where he's seeing things everywhere. Yeah. It's now I see weirwood and I'm like Bran. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bran knows there. Bran knows this happened. Bran. Bran yep. saw it. Bran. Yep. Brand Brand. taser face. Uh, I, it's getting late, man. We're getting silly. <laughs> we're getting loopy. Uh, no, it, it feels like, you know, the roots drink the blood. There's the whole blood sacrifice to like a living tree. I, I don't know. I don't, I, it doesn't feel right. I, I don't either. Yeah. That's, that's like, is it weirwood or is it the roots of the weirwood mixed with the blood that makes things work? Yeah. And since these weirwood are chairs, they're obviously not rooted to anything. Right. Seems like it wouldn't be anything, but they're rooted in mystery. Oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you got cereal, Pharrell, Jacques and Hagar or one of those guys sitting in the room with Arya. I don't know. Yes. One of two. Absolutely has to be. You heard it here three hundredth time. So I'm sure somebody <laughs> else has said it, but yeah, why not? Why not? Why? Well, you know, why leave specifically? Maybe not Ciro, but why leave Jock and Agar dangling? It'd be really hard for him to be there, though, since we know he's in Old Town. Right? I don't know. Maybe yeah. Not. Well, Jock and his Jock and his yeah, who is Benjamin? So, yeah, got it all there. Um, I'm done, man. You got anything else? Yeah. Uh, no, we can do it. You know, you know this. Where will these characters end up? Thing. I don't want to tease something we haven't agreed to, but I'm gonna. You know, maybe we could do something like where are they gonna end up? Kind of thing. Now that we finished, we did this a little bit before with like a headcanon right. thing. Mm-hmm. But we could maybe take another stab at that as like kind of like a, a wrap up episode to talk about wrap some of these characters. Stuff. So I wanted to talk Arya, but you know what? We can save it. I'm thinking the same thing. Okay. Cool. All right. Okay. Let's do it. Um. So thank you everyone for joining us for Davos After Dark. We hope you enjoyed it. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, looking at the timestamp, this this might be in the running for longest yet. That's uh, close three and a half hours and you and I spent about 15 minutes talking before. So about yeah, this is, yeah. Yeah. So uh, thank you for sticking through it with us. We hope you guys enjoyed it. This is Matt signing off uh, just with darn it. I already spoiled my sign off, but it's just with that great Billy Joel fa- uh, song lyric that um, it's the face of the stranger and we love to try it on. Go listen to that song. It's one of my favorite Billy Joel songs. Top five. A good one. Uh, and I am a scad signing off, just saying whether you're a Harzu or a Red Ralu, you know, names aren't important. Names aren't important. Just be you. Just be you. Red <laughs> Ralu or Harzu, either way. Just be you. That's it. That's it. Thanks, everybody. (laughs) Good night, everybody. Bye.
we've got Cersei, Tyrion, Kingbreaker, Dragon Tamer, John's Death next episode. Yeah. Oh, that's intense. So we got next episode's the Walk of Shame thing. Yep. Um, I don't remember what happens in the Tyrion chapter. <laughs> Me neither. It's easy. I mean, what does he do? It must be him with Brown Ben no plotting. Oh, it's the oh, one where they sign the papers it's... and like he promises they all the... They sign the paper yeah. and the gold <laughs> yeah. and stuff. Yeah. That's yeah. the one it is. Yes. Kingbreaker. Kingbreaker is... Kingbreaker's a good one. That's where that? Baristan fights. Oh, where he fights Kras. Kras and yeah. stuff. Yeah. yeah, that's a good one. Dragon Tamer, of course, um, we get Quentin's death. Quentin's death and then John's death. John's death. Wow, that is packed. Holy <laughs> cow. Walk of shame. We should just skip the Tyrion chapter. Man, there's so much <laughs> crap in there. Wow. For those that don't that that, that haven't seen it, I strongly rec- recommend uh Bookworm Musical and I imagine Matt also strongly recommends the book itself. I do recommend the book. It's quite good. <laughs> but even as a faithful member of the LDS faith, I enjoyed the Book of Mormon musical. As it's... irreverent as it is, um, as long as you can laugh at yourself a little bit as a Mormon, uh, I, I thought it was great. And the music is fantastic. I've got no qualms with it. The music is fantastic. Uh, it, it is huge here, by the way. I've been to a couple performances and it's sold out and people love it. Um, and you know, it, it's not actually very much like the, those that don't know the people that wrote that musical also are the creators of South Park, uh, <laughs> just like South Park, they have, you know, references to Mormons frequently in that show. It's not, it's not really, it's not really poking that much. It's poking fun, but in the it's end, not malicious. It, it, yeah. In the end, the message is actually, these are really good people. <laughs> right like it's like and and i agree entirely uh but uh anyway yeah how did we get on that derailment is that my bad it's probably uh, my bad no it was me i i said that that was going to be our next book that we're gonna <laughs> yeah, cover right. on this what's your fault <laughs> shame all right oh that's next episode tease yeah yep. oh music are What's gonna, that? Are you going to accompany me with some guitar while I give the summary? That'd be wonderful. Oh no. Hmm. No, it's it's me. Oh. It is. Yeah. Oh. I'm sitting here with my Sorry, I thought it was quieter than that. It's my bass guitar that's not even plugged in or anything. Oh. And I do it all the time when we're recording. I just have just for my hands to be doing something. Uh-huh. And uh I guess it's coming through. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. I'm like, what is that? I'm still listening. It's, it's a just, weird tune uh... when I'm talking about burning people. <laughs> but let's do Oops. it. Something darker. Sorry about that. Something I do it all the time. Smoke on the waterish. This... Yeah, this is the first time you've noticed. It's just something for my hands to do while we're talking. So fire. I do it almost every episode. Yeah. All right. Moving on. Okay. Sorry about that. That's okay. They had been three miles from Winterfell for 19 days. 19 days, and they were very nearly out of food. Mm-hmm. 